kick it off, big. All right, let me look at you with my glasses on. Oh, yeah, you look like you. Yeah, you look like you too. Sorry. I, I am me. I am me. <laughs> How are you? Doing good. I just came up from, uh, out, came from outside working on my ice rink. It's uh, minus eight Fahrenheit here, which I think is 14 Celsius, something like that. Yeah. I can't get that. I just know they meet at minus 40. Yeah. And this morning when I got up, it was, uh, it was like uh, minus seven here, which I think is minus. 13 Celsius. I don't know. I'm not very good at math. Um, oh, I have a little sorry. conversion chart <laughs> I do when I have to look it up. Is that cold for you or is that still slightly nice for you? Here, that would be freezing. No, no, it's cold, but I, I live in Minnesota. I don't know if you know where that state is, but we're we're sort of at the top of the U.S. Yeah. At the Canadian border. And we've got an Arctic weather pattern happening right now. So okay. we haven't really been up like for the next week. We're going to be, the warmest we'll get will be like, uh, like seven degrees, you know, wow. it's going down to minus 12 tonight. So yeah, it, it's cold. Even Minnesotans don't want to be outside in this. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not from here originally, so I try harder to embrace it. Yeah, I've got um, family up in Winnipeg, just over the border. So. Oh yeah, it's eight hours from us. Oh, okay. So they, they pretty much have the same weather, probably because I'm in the Twin Cities, so I'm, I would say I'm in the southern third of Minnesota. So Winnipeg would be, they're probably a, a good crack colder than us up there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But at a certain point, y- you know, I run back and forth between my studio out here in the house in a t shirt. You know, I always go inside and say to my wife, I, uh, I go, that is kill you cold. <laughs> you know, if I were to lock myself out and didn't have somewhere to go, yeah, you would you would die in that. But wow. um, you know, when you dress for it, it's it's just lovely down there, man. I love going down and just being on the frozen lake, skimming the ice and filling the cracks. It's great. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad weather; just bad tides. You're right, and you know, attitude and confidence, and you have to be excited to embrace it. Like uh, you know, even a rainy day, you can. I kind of like a rainy day. I get more done, but, uh, you know, I feel like we always spend so much time, you know, talking about the outdoors. It seems like people, we spend so much time trying to be out of the rain and dry. And yeah. it's like you're on a backpacking trip and you just, you have to walk all day in it and you just embrace it and go, you know, it's got its moments of misery and it's got its moments of beauty. Yeah. So thank you very much for taking your time to have a chat with me for a bit. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I always feel I can give my time. I know that a lot of people it, would probably be interested in talking about hammocks and all that sort of business that people yeah, want to uh, chat about. But I kind of want to get away from that and talk about just the general life of getting outside and engaging with the world and just... I, I like that. I You know, I do... The experience uh, of it. I do get tired of talking hammocks sometimes if that's the only subject. You know, like I was looking at your website and your blog and your campfire or campsite chats or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that picture of you sitting in your hammock and I was like going, yes, one of the <laughs> tribe, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, of course for me, being in a hammock makes me a little more excited to go camping every time. I just yeah. know I'm going to sleep well. And I'm, 
excited about being in my hammock and other people are like, well, you know, there's a lot of fiddling around with those things. And I go, that's the beauty. You don't have to use it. Throw your tent down or yeah. pitch a harp or sleep under a bunch of pine boughs. I don't really care. You're outside. Enough said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and talking about fiddling about, to be honest, there's probably more fiddling about with some tents than there is a hammock. Just tie it up. You're done. You know, but I, I always feel like hammocks do lead to fiddlers. Like I notice, there's a lot of engineering types that like <laughs> hammocks because they like angles and stresses and, uh, you know, just it, it's got all, all these little components to it that I, for something so simple, it's quite yeah. complex to yeah. get right with, you know, one thing is hanging in a park or in the out in your backyard or your garden or whatever. Another to go out and sleep comfortably, let's say when the weather is, oh, you know, when it's fall late fall and no matter whether you're in the uk or the states or wherever you got some cool weather and you know you want to sleep warm and i think that's where it gets a little confusing and hard for people with the under quilts and under blankets and pads and insulation so i i get that a lot of people just want to go back to their tents and i'm like good i don't think everybody should be using a hammock but i i liked looking at your site and i liked the questions that you gave the topics about just being outdoors because I think about that a lot the philosophy of backpacking or just just outdoors in general you know a day working in the yard um yeah I mean it's because I do a lot of backpacking and stuff and I don't want it to be just about that I want it to be more like because there's there's so much you can do outside it's unbelievable and I even just spending 10 minutes outside like you said in your in your yard your garden like it just makes life that much better i suppose it, it's there's so much you can do and i kind of want to get all those stories and experiences from loads of different people to to share that and for people to come across and say actually you know what i don't have to just go for a walk i can do all of these amazing things i can do an endless amount of stuff outside um well, not just hiking when I was looking at your site and it excited me that you uh, you're really into map and compass and orienteering. Um, you know, I, I've heard people say, Oh, you know, I've started walking to lose weight and they, and they walk for a while and they, they go for their daily walk, you know, neighborhood walk, you know, I'm up to three miles and they're doing this for the third month in. And then they go, I am so sick of walking because they're just walking the same Thing. And people either love that repetitiveness or they, I feel like, yeah, but you're outside. You love that. Maybe you just need to take a different, I mean, maybe you try something like, uh, I've never done it. The people get into geocaching, you know, and they're following, I, I guess, mm-hmm. GPS points. And you know, it brings you into the woods a little bit. You're kind of following paths. And it's like, just walk differently then. Get off the sidewalks and start walking trails. You don't really need a map for a neighborhood trail just be aware a little bit but it's gotten me thinking looking at your site about orienteering i remember in scouts when we would just have to you know the scout masters would give us a course and we'd have to go do it in a day and mm-hmm. see if you come out anywhere close to where you're supposed to be and yeah. you know we'd be in our own neighborhood but you'd end up going places that you wouldn't normally walk and uh i was naturally 
pretty good at it with just a lot of dead reckoning without getting too sophisticated. It was, um, I just go, you know, it feels like, you know, we got to do a, we have to do this bearing and we're going to have to like walk to the left around this thing. So I don't know, let's just kind of count our steps and then we'll kind of bear back 22 steps or so and then get back and we'll, we'll be in the ballpark, you know? Yeah. And I remember how exciting it was to come out and you're within eye shot. You know, the one thing is you do have to concentrate a little bit, like let's quit talking. We need to kind of focus or when we learn those things, like two guys put a stick between them to kind of stay on course a little bit more, you know, and you go, how does that work? And until you try it, you go, oh, there's something to that. You know, it's leading you straight. And they always say that I'm left-handed, so I'm naturally going to walk to the left and right-handers are naturally going to go to the right you know you've all you you hear about that and you hear about people getting lost but there is in this world of gps and yeah i I, you know i have my one on my phone but i still like a map and compass to me it feels like a superpower you know i feel like an old wizard pulling out that map and you lay it down and people are going oh my goodness look he's got a map and a compass you know and you just go i'm just getting a rough bearing just so we can look at it and go you know those places where the trail goes in six different directions and even though you have a bearing you still have to kind of go on kind of a gut feel sometimes like boy these three trails are pretty close but as you walk you start seeing this is getting less and less of a trail. So this is not it. Let's need to go back to the point and start again. And I love all that stuff. It feels like a disaster in the moment sometimes, but once you figure it out and you get back on the trail that you're supposed to be on, it's the best feeling ever. Yeah. You sort of have to, part of the enjoyment is, is getting to the very edge of being lost and uncomfortable, but actually knowing that, if it goes wrong, I just need to walk back 50 paces back. or whatever. I'm not in touch. So you kind of just need to get to the edge. And that's what that's kind of what makes it exciting, which I, I think is quite that nerdy funny, navigation, that, but it is good. That little funny feeling you get in your stomach and you go, well, I'm not lost. I'm just off trail. I mean, I'm on a trail that's diminishing. So common sense says it's not going to go anywhere. It, it's petering out. So I should go back and try one of the other trails but there's so many stories of people just forging ahead. And, you know, there is that thing in the woods or being outside of, and maybe it's scout training of just kind of trusting your gut and staying calm and go, well, even if I have to walk back and start again, and this ends up being the way it's better to explore all those options, keep going back to the place where I kind of felt like I got off trail and work from there. And worst case scenario, I'm going back and I got to backtrack way back the way I came. And, you know, at the end of the day, you go, I'm still in the woods. I'm still out camping. You know, yeah. it's just that we get in this life has us this, I've got to be from here to there in this amount of time. And I think the modern society has us kind of geared that way a little bit. Yeah. So when the woods come up and, and teach you a lesson like that going, Oh no, 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 no. I'm in charge here. Um, you will follow my lead i think that's that's kind of like where using the map and compass helps you in as much as gps takes you takes that responsibility and that that skill completely away from you and you just follow this thing and that's it and you kind of still rush through the experience of being outside but actually using a map and compass and various navigation skills you kind of 
you are using the world around you to get to where you want to go instead of just ignoring it and just following this GPS in front of you. I used to never have one, me and my buddy Hickory. So if we were like, we never say we're, we're not lost. We're off trail. You know, we're just not going the way we thought we were going. And we're like, man, this doesn't seem right. And it would take us sometimes two hours to figure out everything where now you can, you know, the, the beauty of the GPS app, even on your phone, you go, oh, I can see exactly where I am. So I don't have to triangulate. Yeah. But I would still rather at that point, because I don't enjoy the the interface of a GPS. I, I would rather go, I know where I am now. Now I want to get my map out and look. So it feels a little bit like cheating sometimes to even just go, yeah. and it ruins the fun because the old days when we had to just kind of hunt around and go, well, we got to make camp here. And we'll figure it out in the morning because it's getting dark. And often that camp became the best camp of the trip, you know, because we weren't where we were supposed to be. So there was this all night sleeping. There was this little, I don't know, it's kind of a kind of a cool feeling and kind of a little bit of dread. Like, uh, how many miles off are we? You know, we're going to have to ration food, which which means, you know, oh, maybe I have to save a candy bar. No big deal. No. you're outside just enjoy it like just make the most of it and you're always going to learn a lesson no matter what you know already you're going to learn something from it and it's the the type two fun the fun where it's much more fun to talk about it after yeah you know yeah. when you're in it it's a little bit of a quandary and there's that oh, feeling but uh you know when you've you're going to tell your story about uh getting lost or getting off trail or having an encounter or falling down a hill or whatever, or the rain just went for days and days and days. The bugs were horrendous. Those are the stories you tell. You yeah. don't say, Oh, we had a lovely camp because in my case, none of my family cares about my backpacking. You know, they'll only when I get on the local news around here or something once a year, they'll go, Oh, you're kind of famous. And I go, well, <laughs> it was just a news thing. But I said, I said, I don't talk about it with family because you guys really don't care about that side of me. You know, you just want to know if I saw a bear or did I get hurt or did I cry? You know, they don't <laughs> really care about the minutia of, of the outdoor experience, that sense of peace, that sort of sense of. Uh, I never quite have the right word for it. I always call it my Billy Jack moment from you probably don't know that movie, but. Uh, because I'm 62, there was a movie called Billy Jack when I was in the eighth grade, and he he goes on a vision quest, you know, dancing with rattlesnakes and eating peyote, you know, peyote buttons and all that. Yeah. But I would say when I come back from a trip in the woods, I always feel like, I, I'll just say this, it makes me feel more manly. It gets me in touch with my, I know we're not supposed to talk about genders these days, but <laughs> as a man, I, I get a bit more in touch with that deep part of myself that goes I was comfortable out there I was at peace I'm not a hunter I don't do all that stuff I just go to the woods I could be a hunter I see tons of wildlife and I always go maybe they show themselves to me because I'm not hunting them or I'm not out there with a chip on my shoulder I'm just frolicking through their neighborhood and you know you feel like hey that guy's cool let's uh let's let him see us do our thing you know I honestly feel that, that nature can feel your, your intent, uh, your reasoning sometimes of being out there. Yeah. It's about as, I, about as hippy dippy as I get. <laughs> uh, 
I was saying in, in a, another sort of podcast thing I was doing, another interview, I was talking to um, one of our British explorers. Oh, yeah, I was looking at that guy. Yeah, the, I'm always interested Benedict. in the explorer's mind. We have a tendency to disconnect ourselves from the natural world. But actually, when you're getting outside and on the trail or just sleeping in the woods where every little noise at night is a bear or or something trying to come and eat you, it brings you back into the to the real world of actually it's just nature we are all part of it we're all one thing instead of this completely separate part of us and then the natural world well it's you know i i I get the question a lot on my youtube when people will want to know more about uh going backpacking solo and i say you know it's not for everybody i said um it might help if you're a bit of an introvert and i'm i'm an introvert at heart people often don't believe that because you know if you do a youtube channel or something and, and play, you know, and as a performer all my life, most performers are spirited introverts. You know, yeah. we work the crowd, we have this great connection with humanity from stage, and then we can just go and be alone or be with a couple of friends and be quite content, or back to the hotel room with your thoughts, and you debrief the moment, and I'm happy to be alone going, oh, get in my hotel room and drop my bags and go, finally, I get my energy back, and so that I would talk about when I first go solo, I said, I just practice when it would get dark, you know, dusk is always the weirdest time, the most sort of melancholy time camping. I said, once it gets full dark, it's comforting. Dusk is this transition. And I said, I would just sit out in the dark, no headlamp on, wouldn't just blow my candle lantern out or not light it yet and just sit in the dark. And you just realize the wind sounds the same. Maybe there's less of it. Maybe there's more of it. I can still hear the lake. It sounds the same. I'm probably more in tune to the noises now in the woods um, because it is dark. And I think we're, we're just, we're sensing our, our survival thing is listening. And you go, you realize a rabbit or a mouse sounds like a bear. You're not going to hear a bear. They're quite stealthy. And I, I said, the thing is, it's like when I lived in New York City at first, Every siren, every sound, you're on high alert. And six months in, hey, you know, you're kind of used to it. And I said, now I can lay in my hammock. And when I hear noises at night or you hear a fox, foxes make weird noises. When yeah. the first time you hear a fox screaming or a, or a deer and you're, going, you're just laying there going, what does that sound? And you just succumb to it and go, well, I don't want to get up. I'm so comfortable here in my <laughs> hammock. What am I going to do? You know, yeah. literally, am I going to get up and pack and 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 leave? No, I'm I'm out here for the duration. If it was a bear trying to get my food, I may get up and try to deal with it. But I just lay there now and just ponder it. Uh, if it was sounding like a bear right outside my tarp, I may take some action of trying to get rid of it. But half the time, I don't even care. I just <laughs> I think you just go I don't know what I could do anyway you know um and I love that and I think that's just you know we all but by taking more time in nature I always tell people this I go when you're backpacking or you're walking in the woods whether you're with a couple of friends or by yourself I said it's like driving a boat um you look like you're really relaxed up front everybody's drinking some beer and wine in the back and you're driving talking but the whole time you're vigilant you're watching for other boats for jet skiers but you're not panicking about it it's not like you're you know 
you're you're just scanning. And I always say backpacking or being in the woods is the same way. You're vigilant without being nervous. You're just aware. You know, you see bear scat. Okay, bears take these trails too. Um, It doesn't look like it's real fresh. And if it hears me, it's probably going to leave. So it's good to know that it's there, but it's no reason to be scared. Um, So I think, you know, the point of your outdoor thing I mean, I remember in college going camping with a couple of friends. We took them camping with us. And these are the days we'd take a bottle of whiskey and, you know, just go camp for a night. It was almost glamping, yeah. but we were carrying backpacks. And they hated the experience. They they did not like being in the woods. They want to be in a bar. They want to be partying in a different sense than we were, where we're going, yeah, we can drink a couple of shots of whiskey out here in the forest. And they're going... It's so boring. And I just remember being, wow, oh, I wonder, I don't know if they were scared. I just wasn't their cup of tea. Uh, yeah. You just kind of go, all right. Yeah. I, not for everybody. That, that's kind of actually the whole reason I set this thing up. That question that you get, and I suppose every outdoor person gets, is, is why do you want to do it? Like, what? It, it's, it's boring, apparently. Um, why do you want to go a lot of work. Get, get wet and cold? And and I kind of wanted to share these stories and tell my own stories and experiences to answer that question of actually, you know, there, there's so much more to getting outside than just getting cold and wet and miserable. There, there's so much out there, but you just got to be in tune with it. You got to, you got, you need to have your eyes open by something to. to it's understand. like I get, I get bored. And maybe I've, I let myself be bored if, if once or twice a year, not this year with the pandemic, but so you get together with a bunch of guys and gals to watch some big sporting event in someone's house. And there's a lot of people and there's a lot of drinking and just hubbub. And I enjoy it. For, I have to I have to dread it for a whole day. You know, I'm one of these guys. I have to I have to for 24 hours have to just, oh, God, dread this thing. You know, I'm trying to work on going, I'm going to go try to be a normal human being and just enter the moment. And I go, I shouldn't even have to think that way. But as entertainers, sometimes you you have to go, uh, I need to go and just be a regular human. Don't be working on bits. I don't have to be the life of the party. I can just blend in. And oftentimes I would go, I'm kind of a little bit bored <laughs> holding in my natural instinct to show off or mouth off or whatever it is and and maybe it was just the experience going i'd actually kind of rather just be home watching it by myself or with one or two other people rather than 16 and it makes me feel sometimes like maybe i'm not a normal human where that experience of the woods to me i've always told people i've always if i have to take it down to the basic thing a sense of peace and comfort even as a kid, you know, uh, grade six or grade five, or we call it the fifth grade in the States, or hanging out with my buddy Hickory after school before we'd go do our homework and everything. If we weren't playing sports, we would go to the woods and play, you know, build a fort, play in the creek, just assing off in the woods. And always the minute we got, you know, a hundred yards into the woods, I would just feel this comfort and peace come over me where I'd see other kids get nervous in the woods. The woods made them nervous. You mm-hmm. can see it in them. They were out of their element. And I, 
you know, at the time I wasn't really consciously thinking that I just know analyzing this for years going, no, I always felt that. And I do to this day, just this sense of belonging, refreshment, uh, recharged. That's why I always joke to people. I don't even like to go on day hikes. If I can't sleep out there, forget about it. And of course mm-hmm. I do like a day hike, but you know, I'm always seeing, Oh, I could hang the hammock there because waking up in the morning, I think having that night in the dark, full night's sleep, a full day, another day, there's something about that 36 hours, 48 hours immersion or longer if you can get it. But let's just say 36 to 48 hours. Uh, There's some kind of internal thing that happens. I don't know what it is. It's complicated. It's deeper than I can really put into words personally. And I'm sure looking at your face, you know exactly the feeling I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, Me and three of the guys, we go to Sweden to do usually about five days of just hiking on the trail in Sweden, out in the forest, whatever. And it is that the moment of when... It is hard to explain, even when I'm thinking about it now. But like, I know it is. I, I always have a hard time finding the exact. There may not be words for it. It's so deep that it's just. Have you ever had this moment with a friend where you start laughing so hard that you literally cannot make a sound, and it only happens with certain people. And I've tried to Google that experience to find out what it is. Laughing uncontrollably. Well, a hundred other things. I don't think there's a term for it. This intense, it goes for 20 minutes sometimes. It's happened between me and Hickory. It feels like you're high. (laughs) I mean, I did drugs back in my old days. I played around with drugs. It is is a better high than any of those. You feel so euphoric and you, you can't even start to talk again. And you go into this bent over, no sound coming out of your mouth, yet you're laughing so hard. It's like, your body, thinking about it right now, my body tickles. <laughs> I don't think there's a term for that. I have never been able to find a medical term for that. It's yeah. it, and I've even mentioned to some people, and they go, oh, "I don't, I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> so I'm going, "Well, they haven't experienced it." Um, yeah. And I think the woods. I can never put my finger on it. I always feel like I say the wrong thing. I feel manly. I feel joy. I feel spiritual. I feel. Here's the thing. And tell me if this, I think I know your, your answer, because everybody I ever talk to that does podcasts about this, whether it's backpacking, hammocks, anything outdoor related, if you really ask me honestly, I feel uncomfortable and out of place in the real world, in the modern day-to-day society of schools, grocery stores. When I step into the woods, out of that parking lot, out of that trailhead, into the woods, I feel I belong. I feel like I'm finally somewhere, even if I was hanging with all the guys in Braveheart or whatever. One of those characters would be me. I don't know which one, but I would be part of that, that tribe, that band and feel comfortable. I just know it because I, you know, I don't say that to most people because they go, what do you mean you don't feel comfortable in the real world? I go, I don't really, I'm able to, fake my way through it and maybe a lot of us do that but put me in the woods i feel i belong and that's yeah. maybe the closest i can get to it that never really said it that way but yeah that's you almost like you like you said you, you 
you think your way through the the normal parts of life going to the store and stuff but actually when you get into the woods you all that thinking about getting through it it, it just goes you don't need to think about it because it is that natural all that stress all that anxiety of being out all these strangers and stuff it completely goes it's like this is this you is want like, it out of your mind you know that's sometimes it takes three days to get it out you know or or 24 hours to go like i even tell my wife sometimes going i don't really think about you a lot out there i i don't i want to know you're okay but like sometimes when me and hickory backpack meg will say what did you guys talk about and i go leaves and string cheese <laughs> nothing deep we didn't want to we didn't want to talk about trump or american politics or pandemic or world gloom or you know, environmental um, grief, all that shit that I hear all the time. I don't want it. I don't want to think about when people go, you know, nature is going to be destroyed and not be there. And I go, I don't want to think about that. I'm going to then go get in it and enjoy it now rather than sit home and dwell on it. I mean, I'm, I'm out enjoying it. It ain't going to end tomorrow. And it gets me thinking out there. Like, you know, it's so easy to get, gloomy and melancholy and bummed out these days with just negativity just you know it's it's a it's the decade it's the time of negativity you know um just negative thoughts just shit coming at you all the time so i go out there and go well minnesota used to be under a glacier so it's nothing new it's not really new it's just happening now and it gets put on us and we're very aware of it and so I'm just going to not dwell on it and go to the woods and go, hey, woods, uh, you know, uh, it, it seems simplistic. I mean, even saying that makes me feel like pretty shallow, Shug. <laughs> but uh, but, you know, there's a I feel deep when I'm out there. You know, I, I was looking in your site and I saw the picture of you in your hammock with your billy pot hanging on your cool little stand. And then there's another one where you're sitting on the ground and I can look at those pictures and know that you love being in that moment. You boil on some water, you're going to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or, you know, making some food or something, whatever it is, you're going to sit there and have it in the woods. And if it's a bowl of a uh, ramen noodles, it's going to be the best ramen noodles you ever had. And if you're having a cup of tea, it's going to be the best PG tips you ever had. Cause you're sitting in the perfect place by yourself. Um, feeling like you belong. Um, you know, I was watching yeah. last night a little YouTube clip of uh, some people climbing K2. And it's always funny to watch these. It was an Eddie Bauer clip. And uh, you see the emotions. You know, the guy was crying on his way up. You know, you see the emotions that mm-hmm. people get, you know. And part of it's probably just the agony and the pain and the exhaustion and the time it's taking. And, yes, I haven't died yet. I still have to get down um, without dying. but. You, you know, you. I, I, I was just thinking. I bet this guy never does even cry at funerals, but yet this kind of emotion is going to get him because yeah. he's in a place where he feels um, his his true self, uh, probably. Yeah, it's funny you say saying that. In normal life, I I'm pretty much known for like being completely emotionless. Like <laughs> it's just like just get on with life, whatever, and then. Me and Sarah, my girlfriend, we'll go out for big walks or whatever. 
and it's at that point when I'm when we, we go to like the local woodlands or whatever where we have we suddenly have those talks of our life and all these big philosophical talks about what's actually happening in our lives and what we're going to do and like whether we're happy and all that sort of stuff but, but that's not really stuff that we talk about at home or when we're walking around the shop it's once you get outside in your comfortable area where you start feeling all these emotions and actually in tune with yourself i think oh, it's, it's interesting it, it, it may be for some of us to get to the root of it a decluttering i feel very when i'm in society even today um i wake up and i, I i'm a guy uh i'm retired now you know i and I wake up every day and go, you know, man, you don't have to have this sense of urgency that you always had all your life. I have to be there at this time. I'm a very on-time person. Mm-hmm. And I know I come off like a big buffoon. That's part of my magic. You know, I'm, I'm, I work at stuff. I work hard at stuff. But I'm not a guy that can go, I'm the greatest entertainer ever. I'm the greatest backpacker. No, I'd rather tell you I'm the worst. Because then I got nothing. I got no way to go but up. But that fires me up. I mean, it must be my Irish Catholic nature to sort of kick myself down a little bit. And then you only have one way to go, but it, it's part of the game. But in, even today, I wake up now and I sit on the edge of the bed for about 12 seconds. My wife, you know, my wife and I have a thing. If I'm up first, it means I'm going out to make the coffee and she's going to lay in bed about another 15 minutes. So I can have the 15 minutes to kind of be by myself to get it all ready. You know, instead of the two of us getting in each other's way. And if she's up first, then I lay there. Yeah. So I don't feel I, I, I this is great. We're having this talk because I don't I often can't get the answers on these. But there's in real world, in real life, being at home in the real world, I just feel urgency things coming at me. And I get in the woods and all those tendrils that are doing this just go away. I think yeah. that's a big part of it. And yeah. You know, where other people that might, they get in the woods and they think a bear's going to eat you. You're going to fall off a mountain. You're going to freeze to death. Your food's going to run out. You're going to get a soggy sock stepping in a creek. Your mother's going to get mad at you. And that may happen to them and it doesn't happen to us. Mm. It might just be a, uh, you know, I have this thing. I'm not a real religious person. I'm not really a practicing Catholic. I liked all the show, but I had to tell my mother once, I said, mom, I, Anytime we've been in mass, I have never felt God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I've never been moved. I put up with it because you'll box my ears if I don't go. You know, when I go in and do confession to the priest, I'm making shit up to tell him <laughs> to make his day go a little better. I said, it's a total, I said, I don't mind going, but I don't feel it. But, you know, when I go in the woods, it's not a religious thing. I have I have said a prayer in the woods. I was sitting one time in my hammock and I was having kind of a strange day and I decided to say a prayer. It's been a long time since I prayed and say it out loud, you know, being kind of, you know, kind of keep it. I don't know what your religion kind of keep it. It's all kind of keep it in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started saying it out loud and it went and went and went and it felt real. I almost cried and I, but I stopped myself. I'm going, what a pussy, you know, don't <laughs> cry. Um, but I felt really, um, I felt a sense of lightness afterwards. So there is some spiritual thing, you know, going on out there. Uh, 
bigger than other things for some of us, you know, you know, I don't understand the, the guys and gals that row across the Atlantic. So yeah. in their own little rowboats, I go, now that's crazy. But <laughs> I, get, I get why they're doing it. Um, the planning that they might die, all that stuff. You know, I feel as a backpacker, I'm way down the list of someone that may die. I'm not a thrill seeker. I'm going, I have my pack on. All my stuff is in here. Yeah. I should be fine. You know, but then again, as we said earlier, nature can come and throw a storm on you or do whatever it wants with you out there. You know, you have to kind of maybe that's what it is. You have to relinquish a little bit of control. You know, we can control everything or try to more in real life. But when we go to the woods, you know, you, I've hiked with people that are, you know, we're doing 22 miles today. And I'm going, I don't I don't think we are. Yeah. A lot of blowdown. There's a lot of trees on the trail. The weather's weird we might make 12 and you can see that they're fighting this. And it's like going, you're, you're going to lose, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. It's like getting out on the trail. Isn't, isn't something that you necessarily should have those strict plans for. It's something you get out and you just, you roll with it. And if it, if it stops you at 10 miles, stop at 10 miles, make camp, make food, whatever. Like just go with it and just ex- go with the experience in the moment instead of ignoring it all to stick to your strict plan. I've gotten so much better at that as I've aged. How old are you, James? 29. Are you 29? Oh, you're my daughter's age. Oh, okay. All right. You've got a long way to go, but you seem like, <laughs> you, but you know, you're thinking about it, you know, and I think that's, you know, even when I was in, uh, in college, university, with commercial art, um, I realized the thing about myself going, I think I'm kind of a, a fresh being because some of my fellow students seem like they had been recycled through this life seven, eight times. Their mm-hmm. concepts, their uh, conceptualism was deeper than mine on a deeper level. They could just paint a picture. Uh, I remember my art teacher came up to me once and said, Sean, you know, everything's not about boobs and blood. And I was going, I know, it's all I got. And that's (laughs) when I went off to be a performer because I said, I need to go see the world. I need to be out there. I've got to go find my conceptualism where I feel like some of these students have it already, like it's in them. I remember that was one of my first deep moments. So in my life, you know, just, you know, people will often talk to me about, a lot of my interviews are about being a performer that backpacks. And I go, you got to remember, I was a backpacker and a camper and a scout way before I was ever a performer. So that was already in my life, you know, and I was able to work it, keep it going through my performing life because at the end of one of my summer seasons of doing all these state fairs, just back to back, back shows for three months, my big money season, then to go solo backpacking was just the antithesis of, being in crowds, playing to people. And it was never a thing like, oh, I miss it. I feel like I need an audience. No, God, no. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my fill of that. And now I could just have the woods, though, because I'm a YouTuber, I'm filming myself a lot. But the actual percentage of that, I've tried to think about it. I'm going, you know, it's probably 1%, maybe less of a trip that I'm actually filming. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
I've had trips where I tried to film a lot. I never even used the footage because it was just forced. You know, I was forcing myself to say something. And, you know, the, the scary part of that is I was talking, I was on a podcast last week and we were talking more about being a YouTuber. I said, now I'm trying to take a backpacking trip and not bring my camera yeah. and keep it to myself. But I'm not able to because I, I want to share it with a few people that have reached out to me and said they live vicariously through my adventures. You know, mm-hmm. you be, on the other note, filming trips has changed the way that I see the woods. Um, when I was your age, it was head down, try to put the miles in. And it was all about the distance and not the journey. It's the opposite now. But because I have that camera, as I'm walking along, and um, one of my rules is I'll walk by, and if I see a little birch bark flapping off a tree in the wind as I walk by, I'll go, that was cool. I should have filmed that. Oh, I stop, and I go back. If I say that, I go back and film it. I get the camera out, and I film the birch bark, and I'm zooming in, and I'm bringing the camera down, getting some angles. So I'm taking the moment to film it, which is really letting me appreciate this little place on a birch tree going man there's a lot going on in that little area but the payoff and the gift of that is when i turn the camera off i call it my regard moment where i'm standing in the woods and this may be a spot that is not a destination most hikers probably never stop there unless they have to pee or something because there's no creek there's no view there's no anything it's just in the woods and i stop you know and it's that thing of like just silence and you hear some birds or it's the wind is blowing through the top, whatever it may be. And I just regard that moment and it might be 10 seconds. And sometimes it turns into five minutes where I actually take my pack off and go, I'm going to sit down and have a snack here. It's kind of a cool moment. So the camera has led me to that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's a moment that I get that I'm not filming, but it came through filming. Yeah. I was getting that's, that was going to be one of my questions is that does the filming actually kind of, take the experience away from you because you're thinking, Oh, I need to make these films. Or has it actually brought you more in touch with. It's brought me more in touch with it. It it, it has for me personally. Um, I don't think it would for everybody, but you know, I think one day, whenever I quit filming, then I will just take a camera and take photos because it forces you to stop. And, you know, you walk by and you see a little wildflower because most backpacking photos that you see, that don't have people in them are just little, little things, you know, they're just little, you know, of course you have the big panoramic views, but, and I love those, but my favorite moments, someone takes a picture of a wildflower or just some spruce, you know, fronds sticking out with some little brown needles lay, you know, those little moments that we all see, you know, it's like our, it's like our lives, you know, you and your girlfriend or me and my wife, Meg, the best part are not our big moments. It's just our day to day come around seven o'clock when we like we sat down and had dinner last night. I made eggplant parmesan um, and just she got home from her circus studio. She got a PPL loan. She was really happy, but we just had dinner and it wasn't like we were naked or, you know, fireworks were going off. We were just sitting and we watched a movie and mm-hmm. it was just I look over and I go. Here's a woman I've been married to for 35 years. The only person I can really stand to be around all the time that doesn't suck the life out of me. You know, we're my wife's sexy talk is we're a great team (laughs) and you have to be, 
you know, it's like when you were talking about your girlfriend and you go to the woods and you talk about life things lately during this pandemic, you know, and retiring and I'm, you know, I'm a pensioner now and we've, you know, we've saved money all of our life. Meg's always been practical. And my question is, and the pandemic has made me think of this, like, what are we saving money for to die better? Is it just to die better to be in a, a better facility? You know, of course we want to leave some to our daughter because I want to buy a Jeep. I really want a Jeep Rubicon. And I was telling my wife, I'm going, I don't want to drive a minivan anymore. I don't want to be a 62 year old man with a bald spot in a minivan because if it's just saving money to die, what the fuck, you know, it just doesn't. And that's what it feels like right now at this age. I know at 29, that seems like geezer talk because I've saved money, you know, Meg about your age at 29, when I quit drinking, we started IRA funds and started putting all the money away that I had pissed away drinking and stuff and made a plan. And now you get there and you go, well, <laughs> to do what are we going to, we're not going to move to Florida. You know, we're, we're probably going to stay in this house. We can go for a month or two to the beach or somewhere we want to go or, or my dream. Maybe I'll get to see you someday. Cause my dream is to uh, a, a guy has got me cast in this movie that I'd have to go to the UK to shoot where oh, I get wow. to play a really evil, crazy old cult leader that lives in an asylum called Daddy. But I've always wanted to do a – I have family all over the U.K. and Ireland because uh, I was born in Northern Ireland. My mom's from Tipperary. Right, uh, okay. So I've always wanted to do this tour now that I'm older with Meg of all the stately homes, you know. Go see Lord Montague's Car Museum. Go have tea. <laughs> this sounds so boring. <laughs> I want to go have tea. I want to be back at the inn or the hotel by seven o'clock, have a nice dinner, be in bed by nine thirty, ten, and get up and go to another castle or stately home and, you know, do it in, in England and in Wales and in, in Scotland and Ireland and just sort of just maybe see relatives, maybe not, but just kind of just, I want to see this, these murals. I want to see these tapestries. I want to see these, the grounds, you know, I want to see it while it's still there. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch any of us Americans watching Downton Abbey or whatever. You see when the change comes through where, you know, even Lord Grantham's going, I don't really want to lose three footmen. You know, maybe you young people don't want it, but I've had it all my life. I kind of want it, you know, and it's and I feel that way about an American born overseas who came to the South in America and had to try harder because I was born in Ireland mm-hmm. and I had a funny accent and uh had to integrate myself. And now I'm at an age where I think back to the South with today's times of going, you know, Meg and I will watch a movie based in the 1970s. And we always go, God, I love the seventies. You smoked indoors. Yes. There was still racial inequality and pollution and wars and all that stuff. It just wasn't talked about all the time because <laughs> you only had a couple of news channels, you know, we'd, I'm talking about the days before answering machines where you either answered the phone or you got a busy signal. And I I crave these simpler times mainly for, you you know, it's the same kind of thought about the woods. I don't know if I'm seeking the joy of youth a little bit and, and being a little bit not that aware or wanting to leave today's, you know, we should be the happiest planet in the world now, 
most of us, with all the technology we have, instantaneous everything, but we're the opposite. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, even as a boomer, an old boomer, <laughs> which I am now, hey, boomer, you know, and I, I accept being a boomer proudly, but I have watched documentaries on millennials. I have taken millennials into my heart and the other ones I understand they're into the experience and not the materialistic thing and local sourced, you know, I buy more local sourced groceries because the millennials have taught me that to understand them rather than be closed minded. And, but saying that you, I wonder sometimes, and you know, I'm sure I, cause some forums I'm on, even in the UK, I've seen everybody saying because of this pandemic, the one place we can go is outside. You know, so here in the States, boy, you know, you couldn't buy ice skates. You couldn't buy camping gear. You couldn't find snowshoes. Everybody's doubling down on going outside. Now, I wonder when the day comes that they go, hey, we don't have to wear masks. It's cured. Will Mm -hmm. a third or half of those people drop from their outdoor activities? They're only doing them because they can. That's kind of on my mind. Part of me kind of wants them to because the trail was crowded. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a quandary. So it's like even growing in the South, I, I deal with, I dream of all the things that used to be there. And now you go to these old spots that I, I remember and they're torn down and there's a coffee shop and condos and a modern little community there. And, you know, I'm wistful about it. So it's even as you get older, you know, you get caught, like I feel sometimes so sad to say, that the modern world, I'm kind of, that's why I don't even mind retiring. Like I'm kind of in the back seat now, just kind of going, yep, just drive me around. I'm just back here. I don't care. You know, here's the keys, take them. I'm fine. Uh, where you're, you're at an age where it's still ahead of you. So I think even the outdoors may be even more of a comfort. Uh, even when I come out and just chop firewood for two hours, it feels like, Meg always goes, uh, she goes, oh, you went out and got God's workout. You know, <laughs> not that she's religious. We just always call outdoor stuff is, is God's workout rather than come out here and, you know, do push-ups and calisthenics and do, you know, a 30-minute workout. You just go, well, you know how backpacking exhausts you. For me, when I get home, it, the physical part, I feel a day or two later, but there's an exhaustion from peace yeah it's always as if you're exhausted from being so relaxed um, you know that feeling i think we all know you'd come home and take your shower and you're just like i'm so tired god i don't you know and i slept plenty in my hammock i slept 10 hours every night where i don't at home yet i'm exhausted and it i think it's from my favorite memories is being a kid like about a seventh sixth or seventh grader was on a cool fall night me and a, some of my friends, we would play army in the woods. You know, you're just out there playing fake army. Da, 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 da. And you're just running around in that cold weather in a sweatshirt. Your cheeks are all red and you come home and have your dinner and you're, you're yawning. And your mom would say something like, oh, you're tired from all the fresh air. And I go, yeah. am I? What does that, what the hell's that mean? Yeah. Because maybe when you're out there, you were double alive or something, you know, and I never thought about that, but maybe, maybe that's where the exhaustion comes from because you can, you can totally be your true self. I, I, you know, 
somebody said to me, even my mom said this to me once. She said, a lot of people think you're funny, but I know you're a tight ass. <laughs> she said, you plan everything. And I go, I know, God, you're the one person that can see me. And people will say to me, oh, you're so spontaneous. And I go, oh, God, no, I'm not. <laughs> Call me tonight and see if I want to go out. I'll make an excuse not to. Because <laughs> what I mentioned earlier, I need 24 hours to dread it. Yeah. Then you can't get me to go home. You can't get me to leave the party then. So I think it's a thing. Maybe when we're in the woods, I'll speak for myself, but I just got to lump you into it. I think we all have our hand out in life a little bit. And, you know, it's like I've been learning to let it let people in a little bit. Sometimes I still stop here. You know, I'm I'm a good foot. And I'll go, I'm going to stop you right there. And then maybe as I get to know you or a backpack, the hand may come fully down. You fully, you know, like I can totally be myself. So maybe when we're in the woods, all of us, the people you've interviewed, the adventurer, the girl that does the wildlife photography, the mountain bikers, whatever your outdoor activity is, the rock climbers, the fishermen, the artists that just go outside and do all their art standing out in a field. Um, I, I think we're just, I think we're not putting anything out there. So our joy can, our joy of experiencing and giving and all of it, is we're doubling down, you know, our output and our input is more. Thus, that may be why we're so tired. You know, we get that just, a, it's a good exhaustion, but you're just going, well, I don't know why I'm so tired. I just slept, you know, 10 hours one night and then 12 hours another. So that could yeah. be the explanation. Just the, the guards are down, you know, yeah. could be that release yeah. of, of holding off and holding on and, 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 and also just meeting your goals. Like, you know, even when I was a, a drunk, I never thought I was an alcoholic because I always got my stuff done. Well, you'll, you realize later that has nothing to do with it. You can mm-hmm. be a high functioning alcoholic. You'll always find time to drink and make people cry and still get your work done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, even as a circus clown, you know, clowns, we're wired. I've told people you know, p- people are often confused about clowns and that's my background. I'm going circus clowns. We're, we're all, we're like comics or actors. We're a little bit damaged somehow. So we like to take our, our rage, our self-loathing, our self-hate, our good feelings, the whole package. We'll put it all together, the bad stuff and the good stuff. And all we want to do is go out and perform and make you laugh. Take all that rage, all that, goodness just everything you got throw it out there at the audience um it's cathartic because when you see people laughing at your gag or you nailed your juggling you come off and you feel that same way a, a related sense of it of how you feel when you come out of the woods for a few days there was a release of something um yeah. by the end of the day whatever self-loathing you had in the morning has been expelled through your comedy and and maybe that's, you know, I know that I, I love having these talks and this is probably the deepest one I've had because I think it's why backpackers go to forums or canoe people because we're trying to, we're the only ones that may understand each other. And really no one can ever really put that word, you know, like I find peace. I find those sound like kind of pat answers that I'm able to put out there that kind of go, well, they'll, they'll cover it. You know, we had this man at a Thanksgiving once. It was a friend of my sister's. 
he was an ex-corporate guy. I didn't know him, but he came up to me. We were going through to get our turkey and everything and said, I'm going to sit next to you because you seem interesting. And I was like, <laughs> okay, calm down. Okay, sure. And we sat there and he started questioning me about being a performer. He says, why do you like performing? And I kind of went, yeah, you know, it feels good. I love making people laugh, blah, blah, blah. He went, bullshit. Give me an answer. And all my sister-in-laws got mad at him. And I was going, no, 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 wait. He's the first person that's really made me think about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I said, give me 10 minutes to think about it. Because I don't even think that I've thought about the why. You know, part of it in my generation was just to have a job and an income. Like, of all the things I could do in life, I was going, I'm going to join the circus. People do make a living at it. I've never been money driven. I want a job that's really cool and I can keep learning at, but I got to have a job doing something. And that one seems like kind of like interesting. Like I'm not going to want to hang myself every night as opposed to some other jobs where I'm going, Ugh, you kidding me? I would soon be dead than do that for a month, you know? Yeah feeling that way when you're young and cocky. So to be asked that and have to have to think about it. And I think this talk we're having, and if you were to get 20 of us together from people that climb mountains to people that just like fishing, I don't think it's the intensity of the activity. You know, to me, it's not a competition. It is the, 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 and the getting out there, and particularly when you can get out for, like you said, with your friends for five days, for five days is a nice chunk of time. Anything past three, that four and five are really good, you know, yeah. and yeah. you start to really get, you're not tripping on every little rock, you know, your morning chores and routines are just a little more efficient, you know, hanging that billy pot, building that fire, getting that water you kind of know where everything is now in your pack, even mm-hmm. a little bit better. And there's a beauty in that, but I still tell people, I go, it's an ass load of work. All you're doing is working. I mean, yes, when you get to camp, you have a little relaxing time. Then you got to clean the pot. Then you got to go to sleep and then you got to get up and you got to pack it. You got to do it all over. And then you got to walk. And I said, so it's not a journey of just floating on air. Whee! You know, there's a lot of work in it. And winter camping is, is twice the amount. But for those little moments that, okay, I when I was looking at the picture of you sitting by your billy pot in the hammock, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, hopefully when that camera took that picture, you were looking at some great view and you just continued to sit there. And it's for those moments where we're just able to go, I don't really have to get up and do it. I could continue to sit here. It's not like I have to do anything yeah. until the morning. I just have to feed myself, hang my food you know, get to camp ready for night, go to sleep. And if you go with a couple of friends, and I think probably your four or five friends you go to Sweden with, probably the reason you continue to do it, it's like the people I camp with, they're self-sufficient. Um, we all know whether, you know, I'm kind of the loud, chatty guy. I camp with a couple of guys who are real quiet. Like them getting excited might be this. <laughs> Just the yeah. corner of the mouth. And my wife will look at them on video and go, are they having fun at all? I'm going, they are having a great time. Yeah. You know, they're not showing it like I do, but they are so content. Like my friend Alex once, he just said, dude, there's nowhere I'd rather be. He's not a real talkative guy till you get to know him. Um, He's a deeper well than he looks. But when I first did my first, 
we've known each other through circus. And that was maybe five years ago. We did a trip on the border route, just me and him. And Meg was, he wanted to go backpacking and he wanted to learn the ways of the hammock. And, you know, he'd put a little work into it. And I said, yeah, come on. I mean, I'll look at your rig. I'll loan you an under quilt, help you get set up in it. And you can decide if you want to buy one or not. And, um, that morning when I got up, he's usually sleeps in, but he was sitting in his Eno hammock sideways, tart back, smoking a cigarette, kind of sitting in there like, you know, with his legs crossed in the hammock. And I was going to get my food bag and I was going to Alex. And he just looked at me and went, dude, there's nowhere I'd rather be. <laughs> For him to say, that's him yelling, oh my God, this is great. You know, that's about as excited as he gets. And I told yeah. Meg that, I said, he just had this joker grin. And I said, <laughs> I knew he loved it. You know, it was like, I never had to worry again. Is he having fun? Did he want to do this, but doesn't want to do it? Like you go, oh no, this guy's at home out here. So yeah. I will always camp with him for that, you know? Yeah. And plus yeah. he watches my back a lot. You know, we, uh, he's, he takes point real well. He's really good. He checks on me a lot just as an old guy, you know, he just, uh, I always tell them I'm going to stay back to film a little bit. Cause if I'm in front, I got to keep holding you up. So he will naturally slow the group down when I stop to film something, mm-hmm. never had to have a discussion about it. We call it ramble minus one. And then yeah. I got to kind of go ramble plus one to catch up a little bit till he can see me. And then he'll go back to like ramble or ramble one, Yeah, but th- he'll keep the young guys from just charging down the trail because of me. Um, so he's intuitive in a lot of ways like that. Mm. And I think I don't really, you know, and even with this YouTube thing, I say no to a lot of people. I always get invited to camp with people. And as I've <laughs> said, well, you feel like, you know, me from watching the videos. I don't know you now. If I've met, I've met, did a podcast last week with these two guys from Kentucky and I'm going to go down and camp. Cause we've met like this now, mm-hmm. at least even though we're in a computer, you can look another guy in the eye, although we're never really, where we're looking, you know, yeah, you, you get a sense for someone and that's enough for me sometimes to go, yeah, I'd camp with that guy or go do something, but total strangers that I've never seen just come on YouTube. I'll always do a polite answer getting out of, I'll politely excuse yeah. myself, you know, washing my hair that day. Yeah. Or just, you know, I'll, I usually say, I don't have enough time to go with my dear friends or enough solos because I would be a little bit anxious going and meeting total strangers that I've not had a a connection on a forum with or seen a photograph or know nothing about Uh, the the time in the woods is too precious to possibly to possibly waste it. Yeah. It's strange saying that people on this side know you, but you don't know them. Yesterday, Sarah was like, are you nervous about talking to Shug? And I was like, well, previous chat I had with Benedict Allen even though he's somebody that I watched when I was little growing up doing all his like proper documentaries and stuff for the BBC he was a proper childhood hero but I I didn't know him and it was quite intimidating but actually I've been watching your videos for years and the your personality or that comes across on there it's very personal and it almost is as if like well I know, I know him, so it's it's not as scary. Like, I don't well, know, it, it, it's to be, strange. We, what I tell people, so I was doing a hang, a uh, 
pre-pandemic, me and Hickory went down to this thing called the Yates Hang. And we get together for a trip every year. And Yates was a gathering of hammockers. And I didn't really want to go because, to be honest, to be shook sometimes and show up somewhere, it's a fine line of being, I have to kind of be me. And then it's like if you went backpacking with me, you'd start to see the quieter side of me. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to play ourselves. I mean, this is me. But yeah. if I know you, you're going to get quieter at times. And then I'm going to get loud and in your face again. But I will go, I don't, I get, it's like all good friends. You get comfortable enough to have some silence between you. Yeah. And um, so I can, I don't want to go and over sugar it or under sugar it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I was down there for a few days and a guy named Mr. Pickle showed up late. And he was kind of, he's a really, he does YouTube stuff and we were talking a lot and right away I was going, Oh man, this guy's like on fire. He's in your face and asking questions. And I liked him immediately. And then later he told me a story that night. He said, so I got here late. So I went by a guy named Tacoma who'd been here the whole time with you and walked by him and said, sugar douche. And he went, no, sugar's not a douche. <laughs> and I, I think what it is, is, um, you know, if you're going to do YouTube, you, you can't contrive what you are. You have, it has to be an honest representation of who you are. And I'll get the comment from people sometimes. Oh, you know, if you didn't act like such a third grade teacher, I could watch you. And I'm like going, well, I don't think I'm going to change because if it's not fun for me to do the video, then I'm not going to do the videos to just give you the facts because I got to have some fun. And I, I'm a show off. I'm going to interject myself in there. This is the true me. It's just a slightly heightened version, you know. Yeah. I'm sure when you uh, leave one of your orientation classes, there's probably a slightly heightened version of you. You have to kind of come up a little bit to this thing because you have a lot of people that are there to learn from you and are expecting something. And it may not be a louder you or anything, but you're, I say it's like a pilot light. You're kind of, you know, you're turning up that gas a little bit. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I am. So I always think I want people to go, if you meet me, yeah, that's that's who I am. I'm I'm I get in my hammock the same as everybody, man. It's just the power of you know, it's the power of a medium. It's the power I think video is probably and movies and all that are the most powerful. Um I've had people take selfies with my hillbilly pot because <laughs> they saw it in my they they came and did a selfie with me and then saw Hillbilly Pot and said, dude, is that Hillbilly Pot? And took selfies with it. And I was going, I have to be careful with what I do because this is powerful. Yeah. And this cook pot of mine, they know it. And they're taking a <laughs> selfie with it. It is like a character. So, you know, I, I you can do good with this stuff, but it's what it is really. I'm trying to inspire people that are more my age let's say 45 and up that see me camping and go, well, he can do it. I could do it. It doesn't, it's not rocket science. And I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. I was going to say people your age, I think people my age sometimes think that you're the younger folks are kind of an indoor society. We're gaming, we're interneting. And it's not necessarily true at all. You know, just mm-hmm. watch the exports. I mean, watch the Winter Olympians going. You don't get it good at that kind of skiing unless you're up on the hill in the cold all the damn time skiing. Yeah. So it's not really true. It's it's an impression we get. Yeah, um, I think that that's I, kind of again 
why I've done this as well. But it's, it's part of all of these stories is is kind of looking at the impact of social media and YouTube and everything else like that is whether whether those platforms have taken away the drive to get outside and explore because we can look at it on our screens instead while we're sat on the toilet or whatever. D- d- does that mean that we don't have to go out and do it ourselves? Like, I want to get those people and, and make them think, actually, you know what? I do want to get outside and do it instead of just sit here and look at it on my screen because I can go and experience this for myself. Well, there, there is good. a rush. I, I know here in the States, like in the Limble Gorge, I have a lot of videos from there. It used to be no one knew of that place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has Facebook pages now and everything. And there's a group of groups and it's, it's more of the younger, it's more of your, your age people, you know, I'd say thirties and younger. And their thing is, and it's a lot of uh, uh, young ladies too. They go out and they want to take pictures of themselves at all the high points, you know, to put on their pages. Now, some of that you could think, okay, they're just being posers to get out there, but you got to think, for most of them, they're going to get out there and go, this is amazing. I would have never come here had I not been driven to get myself posing in a selfie at this site. So I think it's a mixed bag. You know, maybe the lazy people are, I'll never have to go there. I'll just watch Suge's thing. um, But I feel like that would really be the minority. You know, I, I mean, honestly, when I'm on the trails, I run into people your age, way more than my age. Um, and a lot here in Minnesota, a lot of solo female hikers that are young. Okay. And probably if sometimes I'm able to have a conversation because when I'm coming down the trail alone, I always pull to the side and I hang my hands up on my hiking poles like a big bear. Cause I think people are scared seeing an old man in the woods, you know, of course they think an ax murderer. So I step <laughs> on the trail I'm friendly. If they just want to keep going and not talk, fine. And sometimes we'll have a little three-minute chat. And uh, usually I find, whether they're male or female, a lot of us don't have friends that want to go out in the woods and do backpacking. So they're on a hunt to kind of have these Facebook groups or finding like-minded people. You know, I was always lucky we had, I had friends to do it with, but I go solo a lot now because I can go on my own time and i i love a solo to be honest you know i mean i love going with friends i would say one time with friends and three solos i'm really happy because the solo you just have your own freedom to film to see to stop to do whatever you want it's like you know all this stuff is even it's it it's even further out yeah you know just like it's just me in the woods man yeah Uh, i know exactly what you're talking about i when I did, I did my first first proper solo a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, to Wales. Did a few of the peaks around there and did an overnight um, in my hammock, and it was amazing just being able to go at my own pace and look at the things that I want to look at, and take my time to do whatever it is, and set my kit up wherever I want to be set up, and it was just that sudden freedom, which. A lot of my trips were done with the, the three guys that I, I go to Sweden with, and we do a lot of other things at, elsewhere as well. 
and suddenly getting out of that and being so self-sufficient and being free to do whatever I wanted during my two or three days in Wales was amazing. Just even more of that relief. It is. It's, it's selfish in a way. Yeah. It feels that way. um, (laughs) But I think it's a great way to get in touch with yourself. And, you know, my sister-in-law has always asked me, don't you wish you had someone to talk to? And I go, you know, once in a while, once you've made camp and that little time of night when you're fixing your dinner and having a little fire, you know, we all crawl in the hammock. At least I do pretty early. I can't wait to get in. You know, once I've eaten and ended my day of walking, I'm like going, ah, let's just sitting down by the lake or something for a little while and maybe smoking a cigar occasionally. Or I'm going to crawl on into sleep and just enjoy the whole day the next day. But really, I, I don't crave the company. Um, I, I was always a, a kind of a loner as a kid, you know, I just kind of make myself make friends a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it was being a military kid traveling around the world. You know, you got used to me and you might be friends in some country. Our dads are both stationed there. Your dad gets deployed somewhere else. You're gone. You just have to, all right, James, see you, man. You know, you had to, you jump into the friendship quickly and had to say goodbye to it quickly, knowing yeah. this was going to be part of your life, you know, but that, that solo. Yeah. To have this, that for filming purposes, for me, it's so much easier to film a trip. Um, and when I talk into that camera, it feels even more important to strangely, it's like the Tom Hanks movie where he was talking to the volleyball, you know, um, when you pick that camera up and I'm looking in that lens for that couple of minutes, I'm actually talking to somebody. It's a strange thing. It's not like, oh, you know, I'll load this in later and put it up. No, in that moment, it, and I think most people that do YouTube would tell you if you get into it and you look in that lens, you are talking to someone then. It's just like it's going to have to do some time travel, like like the speed of light before it gets home and gets edited and gets uploaded and then gets on YouTube and then people start commenting or whatever. It does feel that way. There's a mm. connection. It's, that's almost the same as turning and talking to your friend. But after, you know, after two solos or so, I'm ready to go with somebody and share that experience. But I think once you've, once you've done a solo and you like it um, and I always look at people that hammock going, anybody that hammocks has a introvert, introverted quality in them to want to sleep alone and you know you're hanging with everybody by the fire but you get to go over to your own little space without being in that tent with somebody like right on you yeah uh yeah and i think that's why some people don't like hammocks because they don't like the exposure but they don't like being alone I've never really thought about that. Obviously, like, I'm a bit of an introvert myself and the guys I hike with are exactly the same. They're very introverted too. And all four of us hammock and we, we hang around the campfire, do whatever. And then we'll literally spend the whole night away from each other in our own little yeah. pods. Just like, leave me alone now. I'm done. <laughs> it's like, you know, never even thought about that. You know, I read a book uh, years ago and it was about, um, you know, I did a year of psychotherapy to find out if I was crazy or not because my family's always going, you're crazy. You just, when you get into something, you get into it so big, come talk to us. And I'm like going, well, come out here and talk to me while I'm messing because I am an alcoholic and I used to be the life of the party in there drinking. And when you quit drinking at a certain point, you don't want to hang with everybody that's drinking because they start slapping, hey, 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 <laughs> telling you the same joke. And like, I don't want to be part of it, especially middle-aged people. They're gross. 
and then they start going, you're just judging us. And I'm going, well, I was, but now I am. <laughs> um, so I was going, am I crazy? I don't know. So, um, and then people always say that circus clowns. So I did a year of psychotherapy. It wasn't about getting medication or anything. It was just about getting in touch. By the mm-hmm. end, I was treating my psychotherapist, Dr. Bob. But what I learned, I finally said to him, I said, all right, Dr. Bob, based on the criteria here, what am I? And he went, well, you're a spirited introvert. And part of my thing when I went in to talk to him, I said, like, it's it's my Suge thing. But it was a Sean thing before. When I go to a party or something, me and Meg go to a party, I come in. If I didn't know you and I saw you over, I'd come over and introduce myself. You'd have a British accent. I said, so where uh, I'd say, where are you from in Sweden? And you're, no, no, I'm from the UK. You know, I just do something smart alecky. Get a conversation, say, hey, find out how you know the host of the party or something. Tell a lie, whatever. Yeah. Shoot to shit, but make myself known to you because we're going to be at this party together. And then I do what I call work in the room. Go around, see some old friends. Always make sure to chat to the folks I don't know. And the couple of people that to me look uncomfortable standing really far away. I go over, just ease over like a big bear, <laughs> find out how they came to be there or something. And I, I hit it real hard and loud, make a lot of noise. And then people always go, oh, man, you were in the party cutting up all night. And I go, no, I wasn't. It was about a hard 20 minutes. And then I fade away, a colonel yeah. flag. And I'm out back talking to you about map and compass. Yeah. You know? And then yeah. if the party goes long, I go in and make another round. So it's always been a technique of mine. So people think I'm there out there cutting up longer than I am. See everybody make yeah. a lot of noise. So he said, you do that to protect yourself. I said, yeah, because he said the whole thing about the book I read and talking to Dr. Bob, um, extroverts get their energy from other people. Introverts, we get it from. So I hit hard and then I have to kind of go be alone or just with another person to get my energy back up so I can be at a normal human level again. And it's, it's interesting how that works, but it's totally how I am. So I think that hammock thing, we all hang and we get to all go to our little places out in the woods. And, you know, even me and Hickory, when we camp, sometimes one night we'll be sort of right beside each other on a sort of a triangulated tree hang. But the Mm -hmm. next night we're really far apart, you know, and it's just like you, you finally get to get over and, Oh, you lay in the hammock and do that groan. Ah, and no one hears it. It's just you. <laughs> and I, and I've always thought, yeah, as hammockers have to have that little touch of being introverted to even be able to want to, you see couples that are trying to work their hammocks together and two in a hammock. I go, you got to really like somebody to be two people in a hammock. I mean, really? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and then just the thing I love about introverts and extroverts, I find that most people that are YouTubers or bloggers, you know, writers in general have to be introverts, you know, artists, because you have to spend so much time by yourself creating. Yeah. And then you get your payoff, the book, the article, the book is out, you go do your publicity tour. And by the end of it, you hate people. You're so exhausted. You know, you're reading passages or you've been at your art opening and you're having to talk to everybody and you just can't wait to get back in your studio and do your, do your thing where your energy is up. So possibly this comes back to the woods for us, the outdoor activities. 
is, is just a place that we can feel not so crowded, you yeah. know, a bit. There's also that even though you're alone in the woods, you're not really alone. You're not really, like, no. They're, they're you're everybody, not. like, it's strange, but when I first, well, I've, I've been going outside and doing outdoors and stuff since I was tiny, and then left it for a little while and... Um, and and it came back to you. You missed it, didn't you? And it came back, yeah. And it came back to me. The same experience myself when my daughter was born. I was like, three years went by and I didn't camp. And I said, I must rectify this because I'm going to become one of those guys. Another year goes by, I don't do it. Another year, and you might be done. So you probably already tasted that. Yeah, and it's it came back to me more as a a medicinal thing, I suppose. I left it and then I was a prison officer for, for about five years. Yeah. Um, That's got to be a hard job. Yeah. Emotionally, as, as somebody, as I said earlier on, who is apparently emotionless, <laughs> it was, it absolutely destroyed me pretty much. And I was a mess and I had to take some time off to kind of recover. And that'd be a good campfire story sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was during that time off that I took myself out and properly immersed myself again back in the woods on the trail. And that's where all of this started originally. That was the, the main thing where writing and being creative was my vice to help me and put my brain in order. That's a great term to put your brain in order. I'm going to remember that one. You know, the brain can do so much and get sucked down and I can only imagine with the prison thing, my first thought would be you're feeling compassion. You probably feel hate on some days. It's probably just strong. It's like what I would say about the circus. It was never gray area. It was black and it was white. You loved it or you hated it. You never went, eh, this job's fine. And that kind of thing can, you know, physically, your soul, your heart, all the parts of your body, your brain, which is controlling everything, you've got to kind of rewire, reset. So I imagine that all this was probably, I don't know if healing is the right word, but you said medicinal road back to connecting it in a good way. And Yeah, it gave me something to focus on that I actually loved doing beforehand. And then suddenly being from this place where you are locked in for 12 hours a day or however long my shift was at the time to being able to just get out and be in the freedom of the woodlands on the trail all day and actually finding things that I loved again really helped me put my brain in order and it's uh yeah it sort of brought me to this point where it's like actually it's not just about going out for a walk it's there's so much more to it it's unbelievable the great thing is that I'm realizing at this age and in, in some of my videos lately, I've had a few, uh, I've been wanting to do this video where I go and get a bunch of camo and I was going to play a, a British bushcrafter because some people are going, Shug, you're starting to get a little bushcrafty because I'm kind of focusing more on building fires and splitting wood and sharpening my knives. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be set one way in your backpack. And I'll continue to hammock, but I want to do the rest of my camp time. You can go into little different areas like maybe you really get into map and compass for a while 
for yeah. a couple of years. And then you really go, okay, now it's more into, uh, I'm going to get a little bit more into how to sharpen my knives and just, you know, um, maybe I'm even off video going to teach myself how to set snares because, you know, if I start doing it on video, people are like, you don't know what you're doing. So you have to be careful what you show. And I've mm -hmm. been really into coffee lately because I started watching James Hoffman. I was wanting, you know, because I'm an ex drinker, I was, I was just wanting a drink to be excited about. So I went down the espresso rabbit hole and it's great at my age. Cause I always tell young people, you know, I'll tell you this, James, uh, like I tell my daughter at 29. Cause I remember somebody, you said 29, right? Yeah. On my 29th birthday in New York city, a guy said to me, Hey, Sean, you're 29. Now you're not in your mid twenties anymore. I remember going, Hey, thanks man. And, uh, but the beauty of that is if you want to be new at something, you have to start something new, you know, I mean, you'll never be able to go back to your humble beginnings of orienteering. Mm -hmm. I'll never be able, I tell people all the time, I wish I could discover hammocks again, all though. I wouldn't want to right now, because even since I've learned it, there's so many more fabrics, so many more designs, so many more vendors, so many more under, it's come a long way. Yeah. So many more suspensions. It's even more confusing but just taking on a new skill makes you new at something again that go, I'm either good at it or to go, I'm fucking horrible at this. <laughs> Let me go back to the things I do well and go, hello, friend. I wasn't leaving you. I love you. Uh, you you, you got to step out of that comfort zone. And, you know, we can do that with the woods, even though it's, it's not our job. You know, YouTube's not my job. I make a little money at it because you will eventually, but it never was my I didn't quit everything just to hope to be a YouTube phenom because it ain't really going to happen in backpacking. You just go, Hey man, I get a little bit of grocery money through the Google ads, but it was never the point. It was about delving in, you know, the hammocks um, reinvigorated my backpacking at a time I needed it, mm -hmm. made it more fun for me. And as I continue on, as I get, I don't want to be one of these old guys that just gets, old and curmudgingly, you know, becomes a curmudgeon, uh, you know, that happens naturally, but you've got to find, I always tell my students at the U, I teach in the acting program, I teach them circus skills, like, I'm envious of you because you're in a place where you're on your journey to this great thing, so I'm going to take some acting classes because I'll be new again, I'll be the new old man in town, <laughs> so, you know, it's fun to do that with our backpacking, like the camera, like just looking at mushrooms when it's mushroom season is taking in all those things. I'm probably going to get all my maps out now and even bone up on my orienteering after talking to you, just because it always takes some practice and revisiting, you know, uh, just like, Oh yeah. You know, I know how to triangulate and I know how to set a bearing and, you know, I know my magnetic and true North and, but uh, you know, you got to revisit it once in a while because it's kind of a skill you can get rusty at little bit yeah yeah absolutely and um you know even just following i i just like setting a course and following it sometimes you know just set a bearing and that's our bearing that's pretty much the direction we're going for a while so we'll adjust later and you know just getting that compass out and looking at it there's just like nope we're way off uh, <laughs> not even close you know uh, so that's that's something you can always do so it's kind of like the medicinal, soulfulness, uh, 
be a better person, manliness, the Billy Jack moment, all these things we've been trying to, I feel like in this conversation, you and I have been trying to find words to put on these things. And I swear, I just don't think, I don't think the words are there. I think it comes out through writing better than talking, you know, or maybe even in a video in some of the, my favorite stuff in the video is not the stuff where I have to edit myself. It's what I call my B roll. Just film. I learned years ago because so many guys from the UK, I have a lot of viewers from the UK and, um, and I love watching them to see their cook kits. And when they're cooking up some Sainsbury sausage, I'm, I'm always so jealous because we don't have any sausage here in the States that tastes like a Sainsbury sausage. Oh, okay. <laughs> we don't have the flavor. It just doesn't have the meat. It just doesn't. Sainsbury sausage is very distinct to me. I crave them. So, um, so for me to take the time, I had to learn that the viewers would take it to do a very slow pan. You know, like I, if this was the camera, you know, you can't pan this fast kind of hold your breath and really slow pan and show the area you're in, you know, and turn it back toward the campsite because they were wanting to see what my woods look like, you know, and you realize, Oh, true outdoors people. But then there's the people that just walk down a trail with the camera bouncing and they film nothing but the bouncy trail. That drives me crazy after 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. but a nice, Seeing, you know, uh, what I always loved in a looking at any video from the UK or Sweden, sw- the Swedish guys all have really particular cook kits and little ways. It's more related to the stuff in the UK than it is to the stuff in the US. Mm-hmm. But I love to see. That's why I just love seeing your billy pot and that little stand you have. Like, I love all that minutia because that's special stuff that's kind of saved for the woods. You yeah. get to go play with it then, you know. Yeah. Yeah, everything tastes better out of it then than it does at home for some reason. I, oh, it's, yeah, I, exactly. we're, we're just heightened. I just feel like we're heightened rather than closed off. And I think through this meeting, that's what I'm going to walk away with. Our our talk is I I never thought about it to you when I talked that sometimes it's good for me to talk because I'll say things and go, oh, I didn't even realize that till I just said it. I feel like we might be letting more in when we're out there yeah you know. talking about sweden again um because I, I always take a take a journal and i write like every night once once we're in the hammock or whatever i write up the day whatever we did and it's all no, you're, a, you're a scribe aren't you yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and good. I, I wish i had that skill it's powerful it's a powerful skill to utilize yeah. it's it Again, I don't know whether it's the whole putting my brain in order again, but it is whole, the whole of that, that processing where you get to write down, actually, this is what happened today. This is what I experienced and what I felt. At the time, I don't let other people read it. It's, it's my own personal thing. And then on the site, you'll find sort of the blog section where some of the bigger trips, like the Sweden ones, I've written up my journal, but also written my own accounts from it on there at the end of the very first one i kind of came to the came to the realization that actually the four of us we're we're very similar people but we all gain something completely different out of our sort of four or five days outside and whether that was just kind of like a, a digital detox getting away from social media or whatever or getting ourselves back into 
nature and that freedom and the relaxation. But again, it, it's that can't really put, put your finger on it, can't say what it is, but we all gain something completely different out of it. And it, it, it kind of, I don't know, it's eye-opening. It, it's, yeah, you can't say what it is, but there's something out there for everybody. Well, I, that's a good point because I think if you took the time, everybody takes something different away from every experience, even if you're all having, you're in the same experience. Yeah. Like my buddy Hickory, he's, he's a scribe for us. He wears a Tilly hat and he has a little, has a little pocket here and he's always kept just a little, little notepad. And he writes our, you know, I film, but he writes our day by day. Cause we'll be out there sometimes going, where did we camp three days? It was just three days ago. It's not like we've been running all, you know, we we're trying to recall so he can, I could scroll through my video, but he can go to his notes and just go, Oh yeah, man, we were right here. You know, and <laughs> he just writes these little, I could even send you a couple of his things. It's just a quick little summary of what we did, where we walked, what we saw, maybe a couple little funny things. It's just his sense of scribing. He's not going to do any more with it than that. Yeah. He just enjoys, he was, he got the draftsman award in our school. He enjoys sharpening a pencil. He has very neat handwriting. I think he enjoys the action of taking his thoughts and putting them on paper uh, as opposed to what I do, because I'm lazy. I'll just film it and deal with it later. Uh, So him and I are both taking something different away but when you were saying that I was wondering if part of the part of the equation in this and I know it's true for me is I've heard it said before that um, I love humanity I don't I don't always love humans and I think that you know I'm not looking to go to like a ski resort where there's hundreds of people trying to get on a lift I'll do that for a day if you know going with with friends and stuff but I always want to go my it's like, where are there going to be less people? You know, yeah. when I was young, I wanted to be, when I was young and drinking, I wanted to be in the action. The real me wants to be a little further away from the action. So I think part of it is uh, when you're in there with your thoughts, we are away from humanity, the, the energy of humanity. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when you're laying in your hammock or just sitting and, you, you start to hear a weird little bird call that you'd never heard before, or just a squirrel or just some little wood sound that you may not have heard unless you were just sitting there quietly and you're able to kind of go, sound like it's coming from there, but I actually think it's coming from there. You know, you just get to kind of regard it for a moment and, mm-hmm. and then realize I really need to learn more bird calls. Cause I have no idea what that is, yeah. you know? Um, so, I, you know, that moment probably for you to write it down is probably um, it might be like me performing or just, I have to do it somehow. And you may have to put these words down. Uh, Maybe the woods are forcing you to, and like you say, there is an idea in there here or there that you could elaborate on, but most of it's for you. It's like most of the footage I cut out, you know, people always go, Oh, I'd love to see more or, you should do a vlog. So you just tape your life all the time. I would never want to do that. I feel like that would just bore people to death. I'll do my videos and a couple of things where I'm going, Oh no, I don't want you having all of me. If you're talking to me or we're meeting or even meeting like this, I'll give you all of me. Hmm. But for me to present it on video, to put out for you to randomly see, mm, 
I don't know. Some of that I kind of want to keep to myself a little bit, maybe, you know, some of those experiences, uh, though I have learned to put in some people used to accuse me of making backpacking look a little bit too much fun. But now <laughs> I try to put in a little bit more hard breathing or that hill sucked or just a little bit more duress. But at the end of the day, I'm going, it's not torture. It's not like somebody's whipping you with a whip and making you do it while carrying logs up your, you know, on your back. No, it's, uh, you, you chose to go out there, you know, and, and there will be some hardships and moments of kind of, uh, you know, that mo- like when you get a little bit lost, uh, I was at a campsite once years ago, I went out in the woods, just went to get firewood and I was just traipsing through the woods haphazardly. And I turned around to go back to camp and I was going, where the hell is it? And I started walking and it wasn't that way. And I had to come back and stack some of that wood up, hung my hat up in a tree and had to do, you know, the wagon wheel walk to, you know, keep the hat in sight, go as far as I could see. Yep. And it was totally the opposite way of what I thought. And I remember getting that little feeling in my stomach, like you're almost kind of mad at yourself, like, damn it. I thought I was so much better than that. <laughs> and you yeah. realize how easily that can happen even if you're an experienced person in the woods, you does not matter. You know, now I had the experience to figure it out where someone else might not have, you know, through scout, I remember that wagon wheel thing, just go as far as you can see. And if you got to put another, but don't lose sight of that. So you can go back to point a, you know, and then just go the other direction. So it was interesting to have to use that straight back to camp going, God, I was just getting firewood. How did I, but it taught me, it can happen that quickly. It's, it's like the guys that fall off, uh, you know, climbing Mount Everest. It's usually a, a, just a little moment. They clip off the line to let someone pass. You know, they all mountaineers go, you never hear a big scream. You just hear the sound of fabric whooshing on ice. You hear a lot like, whoops. And yeah. gone, you know, uh, yeah. just those little moments and it happens. Yeah. So, I was like, I, I was watching, one of the guys that you were walking with um, in your Blackhawk rescue. Oh, was the, the guy that fell on the gorge. Yeah. That's a lucky, lucky man. I don't know what stopped him to this day. Now we had a friend, we had a friend die in the gorge about, about six months before he had actually had an aneurysm hiking out of the gorge. But when we got down there where he was laying and at the, you know, it's always hard to get the perspective of a mountain on video yeah. Looking up from where he fell and where he stopped, there wasn't anything stopping him. Mm-hmm. There was no tree he went up against. He just stopped. And I saw him fall. I saw him log rolling. And then I didn't see the rest of his fall down. And I was the only guy that saw it because everybody else were, was helping this other man who was sort of struggling to get up this rock face. And I was just thinking, is he just screwing around, rolling down the mountain? And the pitch on that, gorge at that area it's it's about like that and it taught me that day thinking about it that mountain could grab your ass anytime we've backpacked on it so many times there's some sketchy areas that yes it can happen and it can happen quickly um and not that we were being cocky that was a pretty hard hike that day i didn't feel good about even leaving to go on that hike Hmm. I felt there were some people that weren't really prepared. It was too big a group. The guy leading it was good. I just felt that I was looking at a couple of the people and I wasn't being judgmental. It'd be like if me and you were taking some people out 
for an orienteering course or, but it was somewhere rugged and I was just going along and we were having a little talk about it. And I'd say, I'm a little worried about these two. They just don't seem, it's not that they're not in shape. It, it was the way they, this man was walking. He never took his hike in pole. Like he looked out of place out there. He had the, had the willingness. Yeah. Just inexperience. I would have said, need to take him to a much tamer place. If you, this is too much the first time. Mm. Uh, and that's what I felt that day. And that was part of the reason why nobody else saw him fall. But yeah, that was a, uh, I was exhausted at the end of that day, emotionally. Yeah, I bet. You know, the fact that you had to climb all the way back up to get out oh, of there as well. That was hard. Like, where's the black cop coming <laughs> for us? Uh, you know, it was an exciting day, but it was just, you know, my buddy Hicks is, you know, he's an EMT, so he's used to, you know, big experiences like that, but more like car accidents and, you know, just deaths in home, falling down a mountain and holding an emergency blanket over a guy for seven hours um, was way different. Yeah. Just keeping the sun off of him. But yeah. he's, you know, he's got a new knee now and he's kind of a cult hero. But yeah, total reminder that anytime, you know, it's like playing with power tools, you can, yeah. you can get hurt and yeah. it only takes a second. Um, so was it, was it scouting that got you into getting outside or were you always a bit drawn to the I don't exploring? think I was as, as a real young kid, but once, once we started settling down, one, you know, my dad was a, is American and he was a chief in the Navy. So we were always living around the world, but my mother finally got my dad, you know, Chuck, you, you've, you've got to get out of the military so these kids can grow up in one place. So once we started to kind of settle down and my dad got out of active military and worked as a recruiter, kind of ease his way out of the Navy. And we were in Shelby, North Carolina uh, he would meet up with his local scout troops. He never wanted to be a scout master. He just always loved the woods too. So he figured if I get another scout masters, I can go along and I'll bring my son. And so I would go, I would tag along. And, but the weirdest thing was, and it didn't, it didn't dawn on me till years later, you know, my dad on Sunday afternoons, the one thing I realized being a dad myself, a lot of times dads, you don't ever get the house to yourself mm. ever. Only time my dad got the house to himself was when my mom took us to mass on Sunday because he wasn't Catholic. So, and he didn't want to become Catholic because he got that two hours alone <laughs> while we were at mass. And sometimes on Sundays, you know, we'd come home, mom would fix Sunday dinner, you know, we'd have pot roast, Yorkshire pudding, all that. And um, <clears throat> dad would sort of disappear for a few hours and he'd go take these walks in the wood. And he would then find places in the woods like a, patch of bamboo or a locust patch or something and then take me to him and he would just take me on these walks in the woods and it wasn't until years later we would cut these bamboo and we'd make little christmas gifts pencil holders wind chimes started thinking one time huh it's kind of weird that my dad goes for these walks alone Hmm. and he probably needed it you know he grew up as a country boy he didn't get a lot of time to do that it is his 26 years as a navy chief and we settled down and on Sundays he had time to kind of take the car way out to the edge of our neighborhood. We sort of lived slightly in the country and he could park and take a walk to the woods. And that was probably doing what we're talking about here. Just getting a little moment. And it, he didn't take me every time and I don't blame him. He would take me when he found something cool. So he was sort of introducing me to, I always liked it because 
he'd bring a candy bar along or something. And we, we wouldn't stay out for eight hours, you know, two hours, take me out to see something. Didn't micromanage me, you know, point out a couple of things to me was, was pretty laid back with it. And he turned me on to it. And then I think at that same time, I was getting to the age where I was making friends and we would just play in the woods after school. So it's different being in the woods with your dad one-on-one and because my mom wasn't there and my sisters weren't there, it's a little different relationship, you know, just two guys being in the woods. He just, one just happened to be my dad. So yeah. for me, it really, that was really my start of, I would say around the fourth grade of seeing the woods a whole new way and then yeah. getting to go on these scout trips, even though I wasn't a scout yet, then becoming a scout. And then me and Hicks would just always camp out in our neighborhoods and, my friend Turk, we would, you know, in America, you just camp out in somebody's parents' yard and Hicks's parents live at the edge of the woods. So mm-hmm. we just camp out down there, have candles burning, just be in this little canvas tent. And it's just like today. If we camp, he's always the first one to sleep. And even as kids, I'd be going, hey, man, so that was pretty fun. Walk around the neighborhood and you go, yeah, <laughs> he just starts snoring. And uh, so I've, I'm lucky to have a relationship with someone like Hickory that we go back. We've been friends for 50 years and we mm. still camp together. Mm. Um, so that was mine, you know, even though, I mean, there's days sometimes I'm going, well, I was sitting in on the couch, like I'd, after I'd be on the road with a lot of shows, sometimes I'm going, all I want to do is sit on the couch, eat a Dairy Queen cake and watch movies. And I want to mm. eat this cake. I want to do this in the middle of the day because I've worked so hard, I actually don't feel guilty about it. It's very rare for me to feel no guilt. I'm a, I live on guilt, you know, again, Irish Catholic, uh, (laughs) everything for me. Um, So when I can have a day when I can just ass off with no guilt, I grab it because it's rare. Um, Because I'm already thinking after this, okay, I got to do a few things because I, I, you know, uh, I have to end my day going, okay, I I did the things I said I was going to do, maybe a couple of extra. And at this age, and it's going to break your heart here, when you get in your 60s, when about 7, 7.30 in the evening comes, you're tired, man. Because you get (laughs) up earlier and do more. And you're thinking, I used to not even go out till 11 at night. And now at 7.30, I'm kind of going, I want to sit down. I can edit a video or take a piece, you know, I got a new painting I'm doing right now. And then I drop it into my program and I kind of clean it up to get the print made, just clean up a couple little paint specks and little mm-hmm. doodads. I can do that kind of work, but I'm kind of done. I'm, I don't come out and do the big, and particularly during the pandemic, you know, I might have some friends come over and jam some music, but we're not getting together and doing it. So it's like, I'm going seven thirty, eight o'clock. My ass is sitting down. But I will, unless we go down and skate at night. Um, yeah. I was going to say about the skating rink, just one more thought on the outdoors. I get in my own head sometimes. You know, I, I just always have. I, I live in my head a lot. And planning, thinking, uh, sometimes obsessive thought, but I, I can control it pretty well. But certain days it's just like, but I, I usually I have to organize my mind, as you said. And I was having one of those days the other day and it was like uh, minus four. And I just went down and uh, kind of scraped the snow off 
And I just skated a while by myself because Meg doesn't like to go down in that cold. It has to be at least 10 degrees. Right. And I skated down there for about 40 minutes, minus four. It's the end of the day. You know, the sun gets dark about 530 now. The lights were coming on across the lake. I'm right down on this big lake in front of my house skating. And it cured me. Mm-hmm. You know, it just re-centered everything. I came back in. My brain was just rewired. I wasn't, no racing thoughts, no thoughts down there. Just actually kind of working on my skating technique. Get on the outside of that blade on the inside <laughs> leg. You know, of course, I've watched a few YouTube tutorials on the <laughs> skating. Just going, I'm a 62-year-old man skating down at the lake by myself. Even the young people aren't down. The kids across the lake that play hockey aren't out in this cold. I'm a badass. And it felt, I was the only one down there, so I loved that even more. No one was there. It was gorgeous. And it just takes that to get everything kind of, and back, you know, and it just showed me, because I'm, I think we're all like this, but we have to learn the same lesson over and over and over daily almost, that if you get outside, just cut some wood, just get outside, work in your garden, just go outside. I'll come out here in the studio sometimes or out back when it's not real cold, hang my hammock and just read for 45 minutes or something. And then take that little 20 minute. It just realigns me. Um, But it's a constant, you know, when you're an alcoholic, you're always looking inside, but you don't look once you have to look 20 times a day. And it's just like, I I feel as humans, we never learn the lesson. You got to constantly, 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 constantly realize you get outside you go do something, you feel better, you're realigned, your brain is organized, and then you get back to a place. I don't know if that's personality. Um, I like my brain the way it is. Uh, I, I like being into a lot of different things. Even when I did psychotherapy, my therapist once said, um, he said, metaphorically speaking, you should go backpacking more. When you talk about backpacking, you, your voice changes, you light up. And he said, could you trim any of your hobbies? And I said, I don't think I can. Every one of my hobbies I do, I kind of need. They fulfill a, a need in me. And some of them are just like painting and music are things I can do into my old age. I don't know how long I can backpack. Off-road unicycle, I had to quit doing that three or four years ago just because of my knees. Like some hobbies... It comes a time as you get it to an age where you can't do it anymore. And some you go, oh, I can do these to the end of my life. I can paint till as long as I can hold a brush and get up there. So I said, I think I need them because I think I need to be half ass good at a lot of things rather than really good at one thing. Yeah. My circle of friends is wider. It's just the way I like it. I'm comfortable with it now. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when, when those things narrow down, at least you've got those other things to fall back on. Eh? Yeah. And, you know, and, and take things like to me, it's things that keep you interested. Like you must be interested in orienteering because it was like juggling and circus. I never got bored with it all my life. It was always to take it out. It was a tool to go perform. I was always going, I know it's not something people sit around and go, hey, man, we're going out tonight. Sure. Hope there's a juggler there. That never <laughs> happens. But if you can take that art form and win people over with it it feels really good, you know? Yeah. So, um, I like being, I like to explore things and take them to a fairly high level. Some things I'll stick with in the case of painting, 
it was interesting because I went to school for art, but I was telling you earlier, I didn't feel conceptual. Now I'm at an age where art doesn't have to be about a career. I can just, my whole thing is get the paint on fast, be sloppy, don't work tight, just get it done, get it on, build some pieces, doesn't matter. I've, I've had a career. I don't yeah. need a career right now. So, you know, it, it does take sitting down to think about, maybe for you, it'd be writing it going, well, Shug said I'm 29 now. I'm not in my mid-20s anymore. <laughs> you know? And you're getting to an age where um, I always say, when I was telling my daughter, she's your age, I go from 28 to about 35. For me and for a lot of my friends is where I did a little um, – light business plan on myself as a performer because my agent said to me says you performers are funny you all do it for a living but you never treat it like a business because i think we were all trying to avoid business right Mm -hmm. but if you're doing something and you're successful at it you keep getting work you're in business so i did a little light business plan on myself covering those aspects the swat the strengths weaknesses assets and threats and i realized I'm not the best juggler in the world. I have friends that are amazing jugglers and they never get any work. Why? Because they're fucking boring. <laughs> most people, after three minutes of watching juggling, they go, I wonder if he can do seven. You know, my wife and daughter get bored with it. And I was going, I get a lot of work because I, I can speak the language of a crowd. Part of it was being living around the world internationally, you know. Lived in the UK, lived in Ireland, you know, lived in England, lived in Greece, lived in Italy, was in the Philippines for months, you know, just going around the world. I think you you adapt this ability to kind of, you know, learn a little language where you are. You know, I can talk about jelly deals and mushy peas or go <laughs> to Filipino people and speak a little Tagalog or something. But, um, you know, you, you you come to a point where you are what you are. But when I at that age from. For me, it was about 34 when I went, okay, this is what I do, and I have a child, so it is time for me now to put a little more into it. You know, not going to go nuts, but I need to just up the game a little bit, you know, where other guys were practicing a lot when they were young. I started practicing more as I got older. You know, I looked at it like going, I'm going to have a longevity that some of these other guys who started way before me, they're already burned out on it, you know. They're 35 years old, and when they get on stage, there's no light in their eyes. I have to maintain that light. How do you feed your soul? How do you? How does a person keep themselves interested in what they do? So that, like, when I go on stage, uh, what's your girlfriend's name? Sarah. Sarah. So you and Sarah aren't sitting there going, "This guy's totally not into it." <laughs> you know, he. I mean, why would anybody want to watch anybody that looks like they doesn't want to be there? Yeah. And you might sit there and go. I fucking hate jugglers, but you go, let me give this guy 30 seconds. You go, you know, this, this might not be that bad. And you can do that through sheer joy, you know? So I, I had a lot of, I learned to manipulate my own psyche to bring joy to go rather than get tired and burned out. I'm going to put more work into it and set a few goals, not new goals in learning, adding another object into my juggling, but a new way to look at it. just a new way to bring character to it or something so that when I go on stage, I feel fresh, you know, Mm -hmm. that way the audience will see light in my eyes rather than just a dead soul out there. And it's why I don't mind retiring because I've done it for 40 years. And I always said, I want to get out before I become that tired old man on stage. 
you know. And plus, you know, we saved a little money and we're smart, so I'm able to do it. And, you know, I was saying today, absolutely. I was telling Meg this morning, I was looking at going, oh, yeah, I'm talking to James on this podcast or interview or whatever it is today. And I said, you know, this day a year ago was my last gig that I did really? in Canadian country. Yeah, because it was, you know, it's a slower time of the year for when I was working. And then the pandemic hit like at St. Patrick's Day here in the States last year mm-hmm. and killed all my work. So I decided to retire to leave work for the young people. And I was getting less work anyway, just getting older. People wanted to buy a young axe and the agency I'm with, a lot of people have had me five or six times. And I, I'm smart enough to realize that going, it's time to gracefully go out. Hmm. Doesn't mean I'm done. I still might be doing that film in the UK someday. Uh, it's just a little independent thing. I, uh, but it's going to be fun to, you know, it's almost like you get to overact and play the epitome of evil. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited about that experience maybe, but I don't miss doing what I did. So in, in a long winded way, what I'm saying is you're at that age where you're going to, you're going to naturally think I've lived, you know, we live 18 years of our lives and then we double 18. And what does that bring us to 36? So yeah. from, from the, from birth to 18, we're pretty cocky at 18, you know, college kids, university kids. I know everything. <laughs> Don't you tell me anything, old man. Then by the time we get to be 29 or something, it's a bit more humility. You probably see your parents in a different light than you did when you were 18. Yep. So somewhere in that stretch, you're starting to get going, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not the young mid 20. I'm not 21 anymore. You start thinking about, do I want a home? Do I want another car? You know, you start thinking a little bit of like kind of how you want to live. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Meg and I always wanted to live. It's like her thing was always going, the bigger the house is, the more we have to clean and the more we have to fill. Let's get a house that we, that, that is normal. It's, it's, it doesn't say who we are. It's where mm-hmm. we live. The inside yeah. does. You know, she was always very practical and smart. I, of course, I wanted a stately home and five footmen. I'm Lord Grantham. But my mom <laughs> said, you, you think so much. You even want an ascot, don't you? I go, I do want an ascot. <laughs> and a monocle. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think when you're with, like my wife's sexy talk, I told you earlier, is we're a good team. And the other thing is people would come to her at a party and go, is that your husband over there was was he in an accident or something? You know, is there something wrong with him? She goes, no. Why are you with him? She always goes, he has potential. <laughs> I still have potential. Yeah. I don't know that I've reached it yet, but I love that. <laughs> Being a good team. If you're not a good team with someone, then what are you? You know, yeah. that yeah. doesn't mean that you can't have romance and all the things, but you, you make a great team. And I do this thing like, Okay, so in May, Meg and I will be married 36 years, and I will do what I do on every anniversary. I cook for her, and then I sit down and go, okay, honey, so I know you love me, but do you like me? And here's, this will be her answer. (laughs) She flipped me off. I know she loves me. Um, You're not wanting me to wear slacks with creases more, are you? So I give this little litany of questions, and she flips me off. And then I go, okay, so we've settled. And she goes, yes. But to me, settling, most people go, oh, you've settled. That's sad. I go, no, no, no. 
Settling is what you're trying to achieve. You, you settle down in a nice house. You settle down in a nice life. You settle down in, in love with someone that you can see every morning getting up and have your coffee or tea or your morning, especially in the morning when both of you have to be in the kitchen and understanding each other's rituals. And um, my wife is the biggest creature of habit and me just knowing don't mess with her sauna and her morning time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is time for me to get some of my stuff done while she's doing her thing and recognizing those in each other. And so settling to me is, is what you want. Yeah. Mission accomplished Settle. basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I think it's what we're after instead of constantly going for that next thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So when, where were you in England when you were living over here? Oh, well, when we were over there, um, usually the last time we were there, when Meg and I got married, we'd come off a cruise ship from between uh, Sweden and Finland. So we went, I have, I have a family that lives in Wanstead. Okay. And, and, Though they're divorced now, so my brother-in-law, cousin-in-law, was the police sergeant in Hackney. So we were always over in in Hackney, you know. Now, my mom's born in Tipperary and all of her family. But like a lot of folks in Ireland, a lot of them moved to London, Mm -hmm. uh, worked at Marks and Sparks, you know, and all had different jobs. You had your hardcore ones that stayed in Ireland. And like my Auntie Pat and stuff, they moved to London. So they ended up in Wanstead. So... That's normally where we were going when we were in London was kind of hanging with family there. I've got a cousin that's in Liverpool. So Meg and I and Ariel had flown over. This has been probably 14 years now. We flew over to Belfast because Belfast has a big circus scene. Okay. And and it kind of started back. It was all the stuff with the IRA and all the little hard feelings between Northern Ireland and England. But there was just a bunch of people in Belfast could screw it. Let's get together and do circus. You want to do handstands rather than fight? So they were, in, it were sort of a social circus to come together and do circus rather than just stay with this animosity at each other. Hmm. And it became a very, it still is a really big circus scene. So we went down and we, we went to London to visit some of my cousins. My cousin Gerald uh, invited us to stay with him out in, in uh, he lives outside of uh, Liverpool. And my daughter was hugely into the Beatles at the time. So we went to the Beatles Museum. We did the Ellis Submarine bus ride and all that stuff. So we had a grand time. Just, you know, it was, was fantastic. And now Meg keeps wanting to go on holiday, but she wants to go somewhere sunny. I go, I can't help you with sunny. <laughs> but we're going to go do these stately homes and have high tea every day. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Oh my God. I want a lardy cake and a nice PG tips. You know, I just want to, <laughs> I watch the great British baking show all the time. I love oh, baking. Yeah. And I just, you know, I made a Victoria sponge for Christmas. I make Korans. I, you know, I, I have a European palate. I, you see in my video, people are always going, sure. Where do you get that? Uh, all that exotic chocolate. I'm going just between me and you, I don't even like American chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I want a flake. I want a crunchy, I, I, I want, I want, you know, I, I want Maltesers. I want Smarties. I want uh, candy bars from Poland. I, you know, I, I like European chocolate. Mm. Just, you know, I want things with marzipan. I like German chocolates. My palate had it as a kid, you know, so it lives yeah. there. You know, the googie egg, you know, the soft boiled egg, the Sainsbury's sausage, <laughs> just, you know, that lives on my tongue. 
So I'm deprived from it a lot. So I like to have it in my videos just because people are so, my American viewers are so confused by it. <laughs> like, where do you get those? And I'm like going, well, you can get anything on Amazon. But I, <laughs> I was going to say, is it, is it people sending it to you from here? Some people it... do send it to me where I'll get the nice little, uh, oh, some little bars that I that you can't even find on Amazon that I still have. Oh, right over there in my camping thing, I have my, my here, hang on a second. <laughs> Okay, I keep all my little, uh, I keep, now I don't raid this too much. I keep all my little stashes, you know, the picnic bars, yeah. uh, double deckers, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, fries cream. The fries cream bar goes way back for me. The, the actual blue one is my favorite more than the mint because my Auntie Pat would bring it over. When they'd come over to visit us in North Carolina, <laughs> they'd come over for about five weeks and Auntie Pat would bring me a, she always had crunchy, uh, the Irish rock candy and the, the plain fries cream. And they would have, right when they got in, you know, they have a cup of tea with my mom and dad and visit. And then she'd get her suitcase open and start doling me out the sherbet fountain, the crunchy bar. So I would just sit there and wait. But and someone sent me, a viewer sent me some really? of the trio bars, yeah. which I really enjoy. And then, you know, there's the curly whirlies, um, the flakes, one of my favorite. So I got all the... Uh, you know, just your dairy milk caramel. So I, I just keep all this. The chomp. <laughs> and it, it just confuses people. You know, they're just like, <laughs> where do you get it and why? But, we, you know, if I see an Irish shop or an English shop in any town, any European shop, I go in and oh, I go nuts. I probably come out spending $50 on just candy and cakes, you know, and just. Uh, and it. I look forward to, oh, and also the, uh, if you were turn me on to the penguin bar, it always has that little riddle. I love yeah. that. Uh, what do you call a happy penguin? A penguin. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I get a little joy of waiting at night to have a double decker, you know, and then to put it on video, it just became a little hook because, uh, you know, it's just like, it's sort of funny with video, what people will ask you. Um, I've always even said like with hammocks, hammocks are very intuitive for me to figure out how to do. And the reason I started doing how to's because I found there were so many people that needed help with it, that I'd be thinking, I want to fly over and help them with their under quilt. They're struggling so hard. I want to help them. So that's kind of why I started doing the how to's. But then just little things I can look forward to doing with the candies um, yeah. and, you know, a little fudge bar, you know, and having fun with it and showing. And, you know, it's like uh, just some people just I'm always going do people not know about Amazon. You can get <laughs> nearly anything. You can get fries cream bars on Amazon. Okay. They take about a month to come. But <laughs> when they, you know. So my palate is just, you know, I just. I have a plate in the house that hangs over my stove and it's a, it's a Dalton China plate of a jester, a court jester. And it was back in my drinking days. And we were in um, this one, uh, we were in Wanstead and we were over in Hackney in a pub and we'd pull it, we'd go over to the pub, you know, and we'd pull up in Hackney and these little thuggy kids would come up going, Hey, you wanted to watch your car for you? And my cousin was, he says, you tell him the sergeant was here and they wouldn't scratch up his car, right? <laughs> so we go in this pub and we're throwing darts all night. I'm juggling snooker balls. 
balancing bar stools on my chin, playing around. And the publican, this woman, at the end of the night, took that plate down and gave it to me. And it was just funny because it was this old man. He's going, been drinking here 40 years, never even gotten a free beer. And I said, well, look at y'all humped over. You got to <laughs> give to get, you know, you got to put a little time in. I worked my ass off here tonight. So I treasure that plate just yeah. because of his line. Drinking here 40 years, never got a free beer. <laughs> Hunched over his beer with his sad face. Uh, you know, that felt well earned. So that, that just sits. It's a beautiful plate. Uh, yeah. That was just a great night. Uh, just a great night over there. So is, is Shug your yeah. a performance name? Is it a, what, no, where, Shug, where did that come from? Shug came, well, you know, Sean is my name, but you know, when you go on these online forums, you got to have some sort of moniker. But it came through uh, Picking Bluegrass kind of started like we were down in um down in um missouri missouri's real southern state down there you know mm-hmm. it's, uh probably a red state in the time and the great thing about going down to pick music it's kind of like camping doesn't matter what you all people care about is what you play and do you play bluegrass you know there might even be some jams where you go how about we do an irish song go we'll give you one but you're gonna have to go down there they're playing irish down there we play bluegrass <laughs> right here you know real hardcore. So, um, so gender doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. Politics don't matter. Religion doesn't matter. It's what you play. So we're playing this, singing these gospel songs because in bluegrass, there's just a lot of gospel music. And I, I, I really got tired of Catholic music. Cause I go, it's like listening to the doors all day. A lot of keyboard, yep. a lot of keyboard. <laughs> I need other, I need other instruments. Um, can we do piano rather than the organ? I appreciate the organ, but it's a lot of big you know, minor key. I just, I didn't love the music other than Holy, Holy, Holy. Did like that song. Holy, Holy, Holy. Just went too slow. <laughs> so we're singing these gospel songs. And to me, it's like whenever you sing something that's kind of connected to the Lord, it feels more powerful to sing a prayer than say a prayer. It's like, oh, I never, never thought about that point of view, even though it's kind of coming from the Protestant the Baptist end of things, it's going to the same place as the Catholic prayers, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'd be singing these songs and one, it's a song called cry holy unto the Lord. And it's an up-tempo gospel song. Cry holy unto the Lord, cry holy unto the Lord. Lord, if I could, I surely would stand on the rock. And someone comes in going, that solid rock where Moses stood. And everybody's coming in when you're singing that one part, everybody's going holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord. So there's all these old men singing this. I'm singing the lead and they're singing these parts underneath me. I've never even met these men yet. This song is going so good. It's raining, it's thundering. We're under this easy up and there's this one little old man. He's a fiddler. And everybody said, he's a local hero. He doesn't pick with anybody. And he came over and picked with us. And he'd just sit there till it was time for him to play his fiddle. And he would play a break that would just, give you chills so they finished that song and i kind of went "Woo! that's for you big shooter and he said son you sang that song like sugar so i just kind of being a smart ass kind of said hey y'all call me Shug then and it just stuck so it wow. came from that and then from that same little statement one man did follow me over to my truck and said uh Shug, 
could I have a word with you? Uh, uh, I was newly Don Shug. So, Shug, could I have a word with you? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I notice you speak a little lightly about the Lord. And I saw where this was going. I could tell he was probably very deeply religious man. And I said, well, sir, I said, think about it this way. If you got five kids and you're a father, you don't talk to all five of those kids the same. Some of those kids need this. Now, Jimmy, I need you to listen to me, son. I need you to do and be on the good boat today. You know, and then he's probably got another son goes, Sean, hey, try not to break your leg or something like that dad and that mom has a different conversation with each kid. And I said, I see the Lord. We all have our own relationship. And I said, God asked me once to take Jesus fishing and don't talk to him about the world's problems, you know. And I said, so we all have a different conversation and you may need a fire and brimstone hardcore where mine is a joking relationship. And I, God, luckily he went, I've never looked at it that way. And he took the answer because I was going, this could get long winded. And again, it's like talking to you today. I didn't think about it. I just spouted off a comeback. And I believe that to this day that we do. We all, the woods has different conversations with all of us, you know, the, the wood spirits or whatever you want to believe in. So that's where Suge came from. So when I joined hammock forums, I needed a moniker, whatever you call it. And I just like Suge, it's only four letters. It's, you know, some people have these really long ones that you wish they're probably sorry that they made a, a yeah. moniker that's 11 letters, <laughs> seven numbers. It's not an internet password, man. It's just a thing. <laughs> so I, I like being Suge. I'm really Sean, but I feel somehow like I'm two people. Mm. I was going to say, you like, know. who, because obviously when I, when I was, when we were emailing, I'm saying, yeah. I, I, this, I, this is Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sean's the working guy. And, yeah. This is Suge, and I feel like Suge is the hammock guy, and I've kind of become both. I mean, to me, they're both the same people, but when people would come to my show and call me Suge, I knew they knew me from uh, YouTube. Yeah. If they call me Sean, then they usually don't know the Suge part. So, it's it's again, it's kind of a weird thing that I'm always trying to keep a handle on. Like, uh, I like being Suge because Suge just plays, really, you know. It's a little step away from Sean, who has to be the earner and responsible. But the names are very similar, Sean and Shug. Uh, you know, mm. I think in, in uh, what is it, in Scotland, if your name is Hugh, they often call you Shug. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So uh, I was going, well, I'm, that I'm Hugh, too, which is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of an interesting thing. I don't see the difference, but I, it just, if someone calls me Shug, I know where they know me from. So it yeah. sort of puts, um, it's just an alter ego, I guess. No, it's In fact, I don't Sean. like when people call me Sean when they come in on my YouTube thing. I feel like yeah. they're getting way too personal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's a, don't call me Sean. I'm sure. <laughs> here. So it's a weird, funny little, th- this whole journey of starting a YouTube thing in 2007 of asking my daughter when I did my first video, I was going, how do I get this video, honey? I see people put videos on these forums. How do I link? How do I get that on there? And she said, well, dad, you have to start a YouTube account and link it over. You can Mm -hmm. copy the link. And then I said, okay. So little by little, the YouTube became more popular than the forum thing. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't realize people were going to start watching them. Cause I never asked people to subscribe. I never asked people to like me. They just, I just put them out. 
So it has been a bit of this social experiment to just see where it goes. Like the thing earlier, I told you with the hillbilly pot of someone just now recognizing your gear as a character Mm -hmm. and uh, thickens your skin. You know, sometimes people say awful things to you and you got to, you got to take it with a grain of salt and realize I just, you know, I have a couple of comebacks. I realize most of these people probably hate themselves. And I write that to them. Sometimes I have an answer. I go, don't run your shuck on me. Your anger comes from within you. Or sometimes I'll go, man, I feel sorry for you. You really hate yourself, but you're trying to take it out on me. I want to leave them with something that might make them have to think. And I've had people get back in touch with me and apologize for some horrible things. Or they Mm are the, one I can't understand, like, hey, Sugar, I didn't really know how to take you at first. Wasn't sure, but I kept watching you. And in time, you've really got a lot of good information and uh, really started to like you. So like anything in life, my, my daughter asked me, she says, Dad, every time you publish a video, aren't you a little horrified? I go, oh, I am. It's when you get ready to hit public. Uh, I always leave something in there that I'm going, that's eh, a little embarrassing, but I'm leaving it in because that's me and that's that's what it has to be. And we, we can't censor everything and I can't control YouTube. And there should be some people that don't like you and you should get a few thumbs down. They can't all mm-hmm. like you, you know? Yeah. And so it has stick in my skin and made me a little bit more um, thoughtful in my response, but I will respond when someone says, you know, Ariel always says, my daughter, you don't have to engage. I go, Oh my God, I'm engaging. You know, yeah. I'm not going to take this sitting down particularly yeah. when it's really mean. Yeah, absolutely. So taking it back to getting outside then to finish it, I've just realized that it's been two and a half hours. Of I my, time. Anytime I talk to somebody online, I'm pretty long winded. So, <laughs> uh, but the um, way I look at it, if we're having a good conversation, it's the pandemic. What else we got to do? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. In your own words, in your view, why is it so important that people get outside? I think what we just talked about, what we covered is this, this thing about maybe finding, I, I think you and I know for us what we is, what it is. I think we talked about it, but I think for people that maybe haven't really, you know, we all go outside. You got to go outside to get to your car. You got to, we all go outside at some point, but to, to extend your, your outside thing, you know, of course I realize not everybody goes skiing or not everybody swims in the lakes or whatever. I think it's just that um, possibly if you if you go out on a bigger for a bigger chunk of 36 hour, 48 hour experience, some some friend takes you camping. You may find something that you didn't know you had in you. You may find that you don't like it at all. You know, we can't all like everything. I think it's important to open your mind and try it Um, because a lot of times I feel like. Well, you know, the outdoors is for those of us that love the outdoors. But, you know, it's like when I talk to a fisherman who likes to fly fish, it's about standing in that river. Of course, they love catching the fish, you know, and pulling in all these trout. But it's more the standing out and being in that river and having their bit of kit and gear that they use for that and the drive there and the anticipation. I think all of us don't discount anticipation. I feel like the anticipation for any trip, you know, that's, it's, it's the opposite of my dread of going to a party, my 24 hours of dreading it. It's a weird sort of anticipation in a way. It's just the backside of anticipation. But I know for every camping trip, building up to it, 
getting my gear together. I actually think sometimes that is as much fun as the trip. You're prepping, thinking about it. On the way up, you might have some doubt sometimes, like, oh, did I hope I'm ready for this, you know, and physically, mentally, always. Sometimes I'm driving like the king of the king of the world. I got this. And then sometimes the woods just kicks your ass that day, you know. Because they always, you know, if if you're in today's world, it makes the outside seem like it's going away. The world is an overpopulated place where we're losing all these places. Again, I feel like it's just shifting maybe. Um, and no matter what we do, I don't think we can stop it. Um, I think we could get better at some things, you know, just like we can in any, any level. I don't know if it's just become a hot point. You know, I've listened to some podcasts on some really smart guys talking about global warming going and wind energy and harnessing energy from the sea and all these things that politically and money wise, we're just not able to do yet. There's a lot of hope out there it's going to take your generation and possibly a couple of generations behind you, probably more that to get there. You know, I even was talking to my daughter about racism and hatred going, we just always seem to come back to the same place. You know, we make these gains, but then we come back to the same place. And maybe I used to think it'd be my daughter's generation. Who's your age. I said, no, I'm thinking maybe it's going to be two back, but you know, it's she was worried about war and terrorism once. I said, go watch Lonesome Dove. There was a lot of killing in those days. Look at any, there was a film, there's a documentary out on Netflix, and I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's footage from all the World War II photographers from, from Japan, United States, Great Britain, Romania, Russia, anybody that was in that war, because even when I was in school, we didn't even study the Russia-Romania part of World War II. You know, we just studied mm-hmm. England, America, Japan, Germany. You know, it's like going, oh, but you watch all this footage. And I said, Ariel, watch this. And you'll realize, I know 84 people just got killed in this um, bomb in a market. And it's horrible from a terrorist. But there were 20,000 people a day dying in some places. And I said, in, in London... They were going down and sleeping in the subways and getting up and opening their, their little shops, fish and chip shops or whatever, in blown out buildings and rebuilding whole cities, most of the city of London. Look at that. And it's back. We've been there. So don't let the 84 people in Terrace don't think that it's over because it's not the first time we've been around this. You know, hmm. there were 20,000 Russians burned their own towns down so people couldn't do it to them, you know. None of this stuff is new. It's new to you and it's new today. And I'm going, it doesn't make it any better or worse, but it might just give you a little piece that this is not all new stuff. And I kind of think that sometimes I don't want this to sound like I'm anti-global warming because I'm not. I think it's a very important issue to save the bound. You know, I go to the boundary waters and people are always thinking that's going to be gone tomorrow. But there's a lot of it and it's not yet. So it's like, go, go to it while it's there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like people that worry. All right, I'll just say this. This might sound a little, sounds a little harsh, Shug. But I see people get into hammocks or backpacking. 
and they want everything perfect before they go. And they start worrying themselves to death before they've even taken a trip about what may or may not happen. And I'm going, you're, you can't think like that. You have to just go and let it happen and write down your successes and write down your failures, but write down your successes too. Like you didn't die, you know, maybe you should, <laughs> but don't let worry. You know, I have a saying, I type it to some people on my YouTube thing. I don't hike with worry, meaning I'm thinking of worry as an actual person. I'm not going camping with worry. Yeah. Worry's an asshole. I will be vigilant, but I will not worry because I watched my mom worry herself into the grave. You know, worry's not good for you. It's like mm. I always say when people go, oh, you're very, you're so obsessed about your mandolin. Go, no, no. Obsession makes people cry. I'm passionate about my mandolin. And people are jealous of passion. You know, I think when you have a passion for something so strong, um, certain people can be a little envious of your passion for it. Or maybe it's the fact that you make the time or maybe just because if you're working time, it seems like people think I have a lot of time for camping. I just go, I'm making time for it. I'm on the road a lot in the summer, but when I can, I do. And you could too. I know you could, we can all work less, you know, yeah. where you, where you're, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's a tough one, but don't hike with worry. And, you know, it's a really hard thing to say because I'll even admit getting into the long teeth part of this whole pandemic, it's beaten me down a little bit, you know, just the, the fatigue of it. And the, uh, you know, just like, God, look at them after the Super Bowl. everybody out in the street without their, we're just never going to get ahead of this. You know, it's like, and I'm not perfect either. The only way to be perfect is not go anywhere. And I rarely do to camp and just to the market and some stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, it has beaten me down a little bit. So I'm digging deep these days to be joyful and be bright and look at the bright side, really using all my stuff to stay there because I think we're all in the world. Just even the countries you don't hear about going, uh, is there a, are they having pandemic in the Arab countries too? Yes. It's worldwide. So I think we're all a little bit, <laughs> just bam, bam, bam. We've just been beat down by it. Yeah. And, and I think the outdoors has, has probably helped a lot of us. So I, I think the people, I just, I don't know, open your heart to it. That's a tough question. What you asked. I just, that's another <laughs> one that's really hard to answer. Like you can't drag someone out there. Um, no, no, that's, that's kind of why, why I like that question because it is so, it's so personal for each person and it's so, difficult to answer and it's interesting to get that point of view from loads of different people you have to lure them out. So it's like taking a kid camping i don't want to go well i've got hot cocoa and candy bars for you and it's like remembering let the kid dictate the pace they're going to want to stop and look at everything and my daughter was just it can't be my pace it's got to be their pace and make it fun have marshmallows have chocolate make the experience fun don't bring them on your experience because then you're going to wreck it for them so yeah. we kept my daughter's dog for three months when she went and did an australian cruise ship and she was in a real funny place and broken up with her boyfriend so we took bean and i'm not really a dog guy and i was really like, okay i gotta walk this dog every day and i did you know my wife's the one that said yes but i did 99.9.999 <laughs> percent of it 
And it was in that first month, I was getting a little bit ass clenched about taking him for a walk. And I was trying to redo my kitchen and I had to flip my whole brain and go, you know, this walk is for him. And I had to make it one of those things that when we went for the walk, I put the tools down. I took him for the walk. Didn't try to rush it and turn right around when he took his Duke. No, let's go. Let's stretch this walk out and go have fun. And it really helped. It's like he needs to walk, but I got to make the walk become mine too, rather than the chore. And it was a good lesson for me. And it changed everything for those next two months. Like do our 10 10 o'clock walk at night and, you know, no one's out and we just always see weird stuff and, you know, just looking at your neighborhood a different way, going, everybody has a TV on. Oh, I love their little light up in their little foyer there. I like to pretend someone's laying in that bed, reading an actual book and eating popcorn. You know, just have these little fantasies that how you want the world to be. So yeah. I think getting people out, some of us have to kind of kind of lure them a little, make it short, you know, and keep it short and sweet and don't wreck their enjoyment with with our own enthusiasm for it. Maybe that's a way to look at it. Absolutely. It's like when somebody's trying to get you into their religion or their politics really hard and not backing off. You're going, screw you. I will totally go the opposite way now just because you're getting on my nerves. You know, so we, but when someone really talks to you nicely about it, you go, well, that's a point. I could I, let me look. I, I may not agree with it, but I'm willing to look at that point of view and hmm. maybe it'll have an effect on me someday. But, you know, it's kind of that that soft sell, I think. Yeah. Them in. And yeah. I'm still looking for the whys and the hows. And at this age, right now, why I'm still into it, why at 62, I'm going, I will fight this. Me and Hickory have already said, if we can only go a quarter of a mile into the woods when we're really old, then that's what we'll do. Because the thing is, you're still in the woods. You know, I've yeah. had those days where I've hiked 20 miles, had a wonderful campsite, get up early hike all day, all day, 12 hour day and get to a campsite that kind of sucks, you know, and you passed all these other really nice ones. So it's like, okay, a little bit of it's the destination. A lot of it's the journey. Doesn't really matter whether you walk 20 miles or maybe a quarter mile, you just go into the woods. I do feel like distance, sometimes remoteness. Like when I go to the boundary waters, there's a remoteness up there and a quiet um, that is different than other places I hike. You're pretty remote back there. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't hear any urban sounds, you know, it's really quiet. Yeah. And, and I love that, you know, you're out in a protected area and the trails aren't marked with all these signs. It's just rock cairns and you, mm-hmm. you've got to have your map with you. Um, and there's not, you know, and most of this is canoe country, but there are some foot trails there. But my new thing is I'm going to canoe this summer. I can go some places I can't walk to. So I'm, I'm biting the bullet. I'm taking up canoeing. I want to do solo canoeing. Really, yeah. really excited about it. That's one of my new things and talking yeah. to a lot of Canadians about it lately and um, watching a lot of videos on it. Pretty pumped. That's exactly the same route that I want to go down as well. Yeah. Just yeah. Just, you know, they seem to eat better. They have pancakes. <laughs> and and I don't mind after watching these Canadians doing these double and triple portages going, all right, just it's going to take time, but I can get up to some of these lakes that I can't possibly walk to. And 
get away from the matting crowds. You know, there are certain lakes where the youth groups and church groups are only going to take a portage or two. But if you go out there and really put in a day of portaging, you can get out there. But even on these foot trails, I just am out there going, man, I feel really alone. Like you said, you're never really alone. You might be um, by yourself, but you're not alone. Yeah. You know, there's always feels what's just the animals you know i see a bunny rabbit or a red squirrel going not alone it's like a cat walking in your house or your dog going no i'm not alone the dog is here or the cat's here so i'm not really alone and mm. i always feel that the timber wolves are looking at me like you know wolves are curious they just come in there's a dude over there talking <laughs> to himself and um uh, i felt one time that i swear i had a bigfoot experience it was a really i've had two sort of i like to believe it you know, I don't think there's death by Bigfoot, but it felt really weird. It wasn't scary. It was just kind of like, you know, I said, something just, something leaned out from a tree one night when I was making dinner. And I was thinking, well, maybe it was a pine marten or an animal on the tree. And I was looking and I didn't hear anything. And I, I just felt kind of watched. It was kind of a cool feeling like I'll have the camera ready. Maybe the thing will just walk in and sit down. <laughs> go, all right you're going to be the guy that actually films me in focus you know and uh you know these little fantasies i like to have little fantasies like one of mine is like going i'm out solo on a lake and i was thinking it with me and alex we were actually talking about it on that pulp trip on the frozen lake like what if a ufo just came down and hovered and melted this big thing and just let it let us see it and then just woof, like just long enough for me to get the camera out, you know, it's just fun to think about. Like we were taught, we were looking at the sky and there were so many stars we were just talking about. I have to believe that we're not alone in this solar system. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. It would Bigfoot or aliens out backpacking alone would be the coolest time for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I want to end with you, but you know, it's just like, Whoa, maybe they're watch you and go, these dudes seem cool. We got to pick a couple of guys. Let's just let them guys got a camera. We can just put an end to all this and everybody's going to know we're out there, you know, cause it's still like speculation and conspiracy theories and all that. Like, you know, and I'm sure if I put the video out, suddenly I'd be a loony bin, you know, and maybe it'd be one of those things you just write it in your journal and keep it to yourself. Yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go, I don't know. Maybe that's just a campfire. The world isn't ready for that yet. It's like, if we ever have a campfire together, I could tell you some good circus stories and you can tell me some good prison guard. Um, yeah, absolutely. Stories because I can only tell certain stories as a clown. I've realized there's a cutoff point with civilians and I'm sure there is in your experience with being a, prison guard that only you could talk about to people that have shared that experience with you. Yeah. But I have done a show in a penitentiary here in the United States when I was a circus clown. And when you go in, yeah, it was when I was with Ringling brothers. And when you go in, um, you know, we, we were all being like, I wasn't in clown makeup because I was singing a song, but my buddies in clown makeup, the guards wanted them to take their makeup off. But the funny thing is, they didn't have to, but when we got in there, the teeterboard act, you know, when you jump on the plank, sh- shoot the guy up in the air, yeah. it wasn't until we we're doing the show. You're thinking, I bet these prisoners are watching this going, 
Now, if we just build ourselves a seesaw, <laughs> a couple of us learn to jump off each other's shoulders, we can shoot each other. But they were a great audience. You know, you're looking out there, Adam. I have pictures from that event and of the prisoners. And they were so accepting to our show. I mean, a bunch of us circus people, they weren't mean to us. There was some cat calling and stuff, but it was all in fun, you know, because we got them outside and did a circus show for them. Yeah. And I remember it being a really positive experience because, you know, I think they were thinking, we don't get this a lot. You know, so the guards were very wary of us at first. Mm-hmm. And in the time we were there, in the short the four hours we were there, some trust developed. It had to, although, yeah. you know, for us to get out in the yard and set up the show and have elephants there and everything. It was a wow. big, big deal. Jeez. Yeah. Send me your email, or I think I have your email. I'll send you a couple of pictures. That would be amazing. Yeah, okay. I have a couple. I have uh, uh, three of my buddies standing, and they were in clown makeup, and they're getting ready to do the boxing routine, and they're standing there figuring it out, and right in the background behind them is the big guard tower. And these were guard towers. These were armed guards. This was a penitentiary, not a prison. El Reno Federal Penitentiary. This was a big deal. Uh, Jeez. It was pretty cool. And then I did another show in a prison once uh, that was an indoor show with my show. And I was a little nervous about it. I kind of just wanted to see how it went. Prisoners were great, man. I mean, you know, anything different, anything different is welcomed. I would think they're on their best behavior. But, you know, you look at the face of the guards going, I'm in here for Cook's tour. I'm here two hours. They're here all the time. So, you know, I think any civilian likens it to the movies that we see yeah. from the green mile and you go, there's truth in everything and there's fiction in it in order to make a good story. It's like yeah. any backpacking movie I've watched, I couldn't even get through um, a walk in the woods with Nick Nolte and Robert Redford. I watched five minutes of it and I just wasn't buying it. Yeah. I did like the one with Kim Witherspoon. I mean, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Cause I read, yeah. I read the girl's book and I, I thought that, I thought that was pretty good. Because there was more to that than just, well, like any adventurer, any any person, I always find adventurers are the best writers. You know, they just write brilliantly because I think their experience is so brilliant mm-hmm. that it must just be easy to put down and just yeah. you don't have to embellish it too much. Well, I think as we're approaching our third hour. All right. I think that's a pretty good. There's so much more I could talk to you about. I don't feel like we got any answers. It feels, I mean, I think we came close to getting some. I think so. Closer to an answer, but it's still, I'm, I'm still mystified by the, the main question, like trying to describe people, why you do it. It's like, I don't know. I just always say too, it's the strangest sense of fun. And I'm not even sure fun is the word, you know, yeah. it's not fun, fun. Um, not like getting out and throwing a ball around. It's, I have got to think there's a, even if you're a gearhead and you, you get gear and gear gets you out and you get into it, there's some sort of primordial deeper thing that comes from our, our roots, I think in there. And I was going to tell you earlier, one last thought that, cause I probably went on another tangent, <laughs> but I've said, I feel like it's Christmas time. All right. And you know, you know, there's Santa Claus and however you look at Christmas, if you're a Christian, you know, you get your, you get up in the morning and you get your presents under the tree. I don't know how to explain this for people that aren't Christian go, 
maybe it's under the menorah or whatever. You're going to have to liken it to your own version of Christmas. But in Christianity, there's Christmas morning if you're a kid. You get up and there's your bicycle. There's your, you know, your new sweater or whatever it is. And in our house, there was always the Christmas stocking, right? Mm-hmm. Old stocking hanging over. And you kind of forget about your stocking. And then you go over and check that later. And there's a candy bar or maybe $5 bill or something. So I was thinking like when I've always joked around and going, well, you know, God only has five molds. It's like a Play-Doh kit. And he just kind of mashes the mold around and makes another human, changes the color of the, the clay. But we're basically all, you know, flesh and bone. But he gives us gifts, you know, and I always I believe that we're given gifts as people. We may not all find our gift. You know, a lot of people never find their gift like they never find their soulmate. I think I found mine, you know, mm-hmm. my gift clown college and, and all that showed up and I grabbed that gift and ran with it. So I said, God gives us gifts, whether we're lucky enough to find that gift and then hold on to it if it is presented. But then he gives you the Christmas stocking too. It's kind of like, maybe he doesn't do it for everybody, but it's a little side gift where he's going, you know, maybe if this guy, Sean, he'll be shook someday, find <laughs> this. I'm going to put it in his little stocking. And mine was the gift of the woods. And it was like, my dad got me into the woods and it just comes down to, I just tell people I find peace. The closest thing I come to an inner peace and a confidence that I don't have. I, I, I can muster and fluster my way. Some people think I'm the most confident guy in the world. It's, it's generated, you know, it's like most of us, but I feel confident in the woods. I don't feel scared. And, you know, we, I think we alluded to that in a couple of different ways, you know, during our conversation about the, the influx and the energy and maybe just everything's clearer and everything's stronger. That's why we're tired. So I think it comes down to just something bigger and more powerful inside. It's tribal or deeper than that. You know, it's people always talk about our roots, you know, my roots, I'm, I'm Celtic. You know, I did my ancestor DNA. I'm, I'm from your side of the pond you know, and that's where my roots run. I have a little bit of Viking in me and I have a little mm-hmm. bit of Native American, but mainly it's it's Celtic, you know, roots, Irish roots. Um, and from those roots, you know, it's like over in your part of the world, things go way, way, way back and way, way, way deep, you know, it just and it has to be connected into that. But I think it's even more on a Stonehenge, more on an earth, a, a, just a wider, deeper level than even that for something as simple as feeling at home. And I guess our conversation has been more, every time we talk about the outdoors, I'm thinking the forest and the woods yeah. as opposed to out just playing football or just mm-hmm. being outdoors because that's where I want to be. You know, people go, do you want to be on Mount Everest? I go, no, I want to be in trees. I if you ask me, I want to be in the forest. I like the forest, you know, more than looking at the ocean or more than being on a snow covered mountaintop. That's where I feel like I'm from. Mm -hmm. I got to believe that. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel you exactly the same. There's, there's lots of people that I see on social media or whatever who are climbing mountains and that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's great for them, but, Send me to the send me to the woods, send me to the forest anytime, and I'll live there happily. 
Well, I won that trip. I won that backpackers tough guy challenge years ago mm-hmm. as a joke. Someone said I should send my video in as a joke. It was based on all this criteria, route finding, first aid, all this. And I just did myself uh, showing myself with map and compass. Uh, my first day was me doing a neti pot. And a, <laughs> I'm kind of sinus infection, so I was using my gravity filter to kind of blow out my sinuses. And then I did a thing where I ran into a wolf. And there were actual camping experiences, but I just sent it in as a lark, and I won. And the main prize was to go climb Mount Rainier. Hmm. And the only time I could go was at the end of the summer. It's actually the sort of least iciest time, kind of the grossest time to go. But I realized I didn't want to do it. I couldn't sleep in my hammock. And it made me realize I'm not a mountaineer. Yeah. I mean, I won the trip. I'm going to have to rent crampons and do all this stuff. I can see myself on a fixed line with some 27-year-old hot girl going, come on, old man. And I, I told him, I said, I'll take all the gear. You can give the trip away to someone else. Hmm. I want to, I'd rather go do the Wonderland Trail around the bottom of Mount Rainier because it's in the woods. It made yeah. me realize it's the forest and the woodland, what you called it. I love when you, you know, m- most of the guys from the UK call it the woodland. And that's such a good, that's such a great term. It just sounds a little more magical. You know, even saying forest over woods, the forest. I was in the forest. I was in the woodlands. You know, it just sounds, when people hear you say that, they're going, I want to go to the woodlands. I've, I've often got strange looks from people when I say that the woodlands are, are magical there is magic out there but it's, there it's, a, it's a strange thing to say but it, there is and maybe the magic is as simple for a guy like me anything that can give me a sense of real peace without me blowing my blarney out on everybody all the time but just me knowing it that i just can feel it i can i can be 20 minutes into the woodlands and i can feel my shoulders drop i feel my ass unclench i feel myself start to I've even hit the woods before where for 10 or 20 minutes, I've almost had a wash of melancholia on the first. And I was, I don't know if I was in my head thinking, did I rush this trip? Was there some things I didn't finish doing? And I don't know. I think it was just the power of the woods going, it's not always happy time, but it went away because I, I took time to recognize that feeling, you know, of going, I just feel a little, uh, I don't even want to tape. I'm not even going to film because it's going to come out like, you know and and i just experienced what it was and within 20 minutes it just turned into another feeling and i think i can only say it's one of the places that i let i let it all kind of wash on me and happen and i've never really realized that as strongly as having this conversation with you which shows why having a conversation about this can make us both I feel like I have a little bit more clarity toward why I do it, but mm. I still don't think I can explain it. No, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it'll ever be anything that we'll be able to put a finger on to say what it is, but it's magic and emotion. That's all it is. Yeah. And it's enough to keep us going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had a wonderful time. Yeah, it's me too. I, I'm sure your girlfriend's over there looking at me going, <laughs> Come on, we're supposed to be going out. Well, it's 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 quarter past nine now. It's quarter past right. nine, so it's about bedtime. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not heading out to the pub. Not allowed. Everything we're in lockdown. Oh, that's right. You guys are even in worse lockdown than we are. Yeah. Oh, we we've got it bad. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're not no, allowed we're, out. We're, we're allowed out. Um, 
I think like once a day for a bit of exercise and we can go to the shop and that's it. We're not allowed otherwise. Can you get out? Can you even go camping right now? Can you? Uh, no, not at all. No. So no, we, the, we, thing, the one thing here, they said, if you could, if you can get somewhere on a tank of gas and not hit the towns, like when we first had our lockdown, you could go camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, some trails close, but uh, the boundary waters went, yeah, you can go. So I did go. Now, that was like a two weeks or so after we had our first major lockdown. And I don't know what's happening here. You know, they've kind of freed some things up, but it seems like everybody's, I don't know, a lot of people kind of taking advantage of it, but uh, brought a lot of crazy out. I even get my uh, moments of going, I think I'll just go conspiracy theory too. (laughs) But no, no, I'm just going to wait it out. Maybe we'll get to meet someday. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be great. When you come over to Silverstone, give me a shout. I will. I I definitely will. I got your email and, you know, I, I, I do intend to do that, like going, come over. I don't want to put you out, but maybe we could meet for lunch or tea and see. And, you know, maybe, yeah, it's, it, it's always worth doing because, like I said, I feel like we've connected now. And, Definitely. And yeah. I, I think it takes guys like you as much as it takes guys like me. Like I tell anybody that does a podcast, stay in the game, man, because so many people start these things I, expecting something out of it that doesn't really come. You just have to do it because it means something. And that's why I've stayed in YouTube. You know, I'm hmm. coming up on my 100,000 subscribers now. And I'm supposed to get some plaque, but I, I really don't care. More yeah. people are, I would not even know if people didn't keep reminding me, but it'll be an excuse to have cake. Uh, <laughs> um, I might make myself a Victoria sponge, but I think you just have to do it. And, you know, it's, it's good work. Anybody like I like I like reading stuff as much as I, I don't even really like watching YouTube. I've just been watching canoe videos a good, a good bit to whet mm-hmm. my appetite, you know, and even fishing. But I just think everybody that's doing some work like you guys, it's easy to sit back and do nothing. And not that I'm any hero. People go, well, you know, what you're doing out there, sugar is really good. I'm going, All I'm doing is self-serving YouTube videos. Nope. You've got me into hammocks. And I'm going, well, that makes me feel good to know. Or if I gave you the confidence to get out in the woods, then I feel like this BS I'm doing has some integrity. But for the yeah. most part, it's it's still just kind of fun and a sort of weird fun like backpacking. It's less fun than it was in the beginning. <laughs> um, it feels a bit more like a commitment now, I will say, yeah. once you have a certain amount of subscribers. But that's life, man. You know, you, you'll never know if you don't if you don't put yourself out there. All right. Should we sign off? Because um, I feel like we'll never get off unless we I say think so. Yeah, that's been three, four and a half, <laughs> yeah. three hours, I think. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for your yeah, time. Man. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. That's uh, all right. Thank you for saying yes. It. And it's it's been it's been a treat. It's been great. I've, I've Same here. It. If we come over to do the stately homes or I go to Silverstone for the F1, I may just shoot a email and go why don't just come out and join me or something or let's meet and have a have a little pub grub or something definitely yeah i'd love to that'd be amazing yeah man thanks so much woo buddy